Bring it in. The read option back after a weekend full of football and weddings and Scotty being sad. We are here ready to rip a whole crew back together again. I love that like since football season started, we, we've been consistently like all three of us. I think it makes for better content in the end. I just love being on with you guys and seeing what happens after each weekend. We're checking in, but but it's good to get consistent. So we get to talk about these teams and there's some, there are some uh, trajectories that changed this weekend. We can mm-hmm. say, Oh yeah. Just, just when oh, you yeah. think, you know, a team, just when you think, you know, a guy you just one eighties on you. That's the beauty of football, man. Uh, mm-hmm. In, in classic fashion, we we're talking about this before the show. You know, we had this amazing slate of matchups in college football and with the exception of a couple of games, it was just duds across the board. And uh, which worked out well for me because I had a wedding on Saturday. So I feel like I didn't miss too much. But the NFL, it was a lot of just like surprises. Like I think a lot of outcomes we weren't necessarily expecting. And it all got capped off with the Sunday night, you know, return of Tom Brady. And uh, uh, it was a good day of football, man. At the end of the day, like a day spent watching football on the couch with a couple beers and a slice of pizza is never a bad day never a bad day and uh and yeah so what do you guys think you get into it just Let's dive go. just just dive head yeah. first all yeah. right absolutely we got nfl stuff college football stuff we'll end up with some random life talk at the end uh and i think the the place we have to start is the sunday night game the return right tom brady taking on the pats it was it was bizarre in the first thought so I'm assuming, again, most of the people listening to the pod watch the game. I think half of America was probably watching the game at this point. The One of the thoughts that kept going through my mind as I was watching it was the Patriots fan getting their first taste of what it's like to go up against Tom Brady in a fourth quarter. And a tight game. Every, every team in America has had a tight game against – has their team had a tight game against Tom Brady coming down to the stretch – and you knew even if Nick Folk had, you know, made that kick for the Pats, Tom Brady still had enough time on the clock that he was going to get them down. They were going to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a night that was as emotional as it was, uh, I, I think even for myself, like I found myself kind of rooting for the Patriots, weirdly enough, you know, like the post Tom Brady era. It was a weird like I didn't really know how to feel. What was y'all's biggest takeaway from watching Tom Brady going back to Fox? Foxborough, all of the theatrics, the pregame stuff, and then the Bill handshake with him at the end. What what was kind of the biggest takeaway out of all that? So I, I got to be honest, like Jeff said, he was at a wedding on Saturday. I was at a wedding Sunday, which is a whole unique thing that we might get into later. But Criminal. I, I, I think uh, it's definitely a little different, um, without a doubt. Uh, the good news is we're all Penn State fans. So we got to watch the game together on Saturday, so that was good. But the Sunday slate really, like – through a curveball, but we got back from the wedding and we were able to catch the fourth quarter and, and all the, you know, dramatic uh, finish that happened. But when I look at some of the highlights or the condensed version, which Jeff, you've turned me on to great for football fans. If you need to catch up, because you can get whole drives literally in less than a minute. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So we're, um, I was looking at some of the stats and, and watching that. And what's wild is like, to me, first of all, I was rooting for Tom. I just, there was something about like Tom going back 
um, and beating Bill. Also, just that team should be beating the Patriots. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe some money on a line had something to do with the fact that I was rooting for him. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> what, what was surprising to me was number one, at the end of the game, both teams were okay. Like they drove down, but they didn't get a touchdown and they got their teams into field goal ranges. So both offenses did about the same. Obviously it came down to making a kick versus not, but I'm with you. Like, even if they make that, I think every, I would actually have rather Nick Folk made that kick just so all of the Patriot fans could really see what it's like to play Tom Brady. And then all of a sudden you're like, he's got less than a minute. No way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like four pass plays and he's not only in field goal range, he's on like the 20 and he's screaming at your fans. Cause he's all hyped up. And like, you know, that's, that's playing Tom Brady. Yeah. So the, but the thing that, that jumped out to me when I'm looking at the stats, I can't believe the Patriots ended with negative one rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, that's how they lost. Like Tom, when you think of Tom Brady, right. You're thinking of, pretty pass happy with this Bucks offense, but they ran for 120, only threw for 260. And really it was a Patriots who had to go all air. Um, and it showed, you know, they, they had a fumble loss and a, they threw, Mac Jones threw a pick. And uh, then you also just have the fact that they weren't efficient on third down at two for nine. So, I mean, to me, when I look at the game, <clears throat> it seems like the, the Bucks should have won by more. What, what was your feel watching it? Because I, again, I caught the end. Yeah, I thought, I thought the, Patriots should have been way more in that game than they were. And granted, it, it it was a two-point margin, but it felt like a lot more because Tom Brady was just in control of the game. But Mac Jones looked pretty good. Like he was 31 for 40. It's pretty accurate. And he was slinging the ball a little bit more like he did in uh, in, in the preseason where I, I had commented that he was making smart throws. Um, he was put it in the ball where only his receivers could get it, but he, he looked really good. He impressed me. I, I think he impressed a lot of people, but um, that, that stat line you know, just proves that in the NFL, you need to run to win because uh, negative rushing yards. I mean, that's, that's a problem. Um, and I know you're, you're out um, with, with, uh, with your running back, James white down for uh, the rest of the year. But Damian Harris is very serviceable, uh, and and so is Ramondre Stevenson. So I, I don't I don't know what's going on there, but if they can fix that up, I mean that's a game that uh, you look back at the at the end of the year and go, man, if we had just pounded the rock a few more times effectively, that's uh, we're talking about a different ball game. I think from a football perspective, that's immediately where my eyes went as well. I mean, holding a team to negative one rushing yards is crazy, but they also only ran the ball eight times. You know, Mac Jones drops back to throw forty times. Jacoby Myers ends up with the two completions on the gadget plays. But I, I looked at my big takeaway from that is less about, you know, the Patriots. It was more about how dominant the front seven of Tampa Bay was, you know, what Vita Vea does. I mean, I think we need to start talking about Vita Vea as, you know, not in the Aaron Donald category, but in terms of interior defensive linemen, the guys over the last, you know, six, seven years who've been in that conversation, the Fletcher Coxes of the world, the Chris Joneses of the world, I think Vita Vea needs to be in that conversation. There was a, a sack on Mac Jones in the fourth quarter where Vita Vea, they ran a, um, uh, blanking on the, on the terminology there, but they ran a cross blitz basically where your interior defensive lineman. Yeah. Thank you. Um, basically just bulldozes away one side of it. And then your defensive end loops back behind the D tackle and, and 
there should be a hold there, right? Almost as if like a pulling guard on offense does it on a trap play, right? right. Same thing on defense on defense. And what was amazing was Vita Vea took out three offensive linemen on one move, <laughs> cleared away a, a, an alley that a truck could drive through. And I believe it was Matthew Judon or no, it was uh Tryon. Um just has this clear pathway to the quarterback and, and, and took down Mac Jones. So I give a, a, a tremendous amount of credit to Devin White, Levante David, Vita Vea, uh, Joe Tryon, who, again, like guy who was drafted with the last pick in the first round. And we talked about this around draft time, all these DNs, and we really didn't know who was going to be the best. And so far, it looks like the Bucks came away with the best of, of the whole group. And, and we knew about his freak athleticism and everything, but I think he ended up with two sacks in this game. It was, was all over the field. They played really, really well, and they did it down almost their entire starting secondary. By the end of the game, the Bucs only had Richard Sherman, who they basically signed off the street on Wednesday. Not basically, they did sign off the street <laughs> on Wednesday, came in and held up pretty well at, at one outside cornerback spot. And then Isaiah Whitehead, who was kind of in and out of the game, but Antonio Winfield Jr. left the game with an injury. And Davis, their other cornerback, got hurt on punt protection earlier in the game. And that's part of what allowed Mac Jones to throw the ball. But I think you, you're absolutely right in that Mac Jones was incredibly impressive. Everything that they were picking up on him. Uh, Tim Hasselbeck did a great breakdown on the, on the Midnight Sports Center after the game on the touchdown pass to Hunter Henry and how in the red zone, when they were showing man-to-man, they dropped back into a zone and he was able to not only process you know, that adjustment right away, but the touchdown pass that he threw to Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry was the fourth option on that play. And the fact that he was still able to get the ball out, still get it on time, read the defense all in the matter of, you know, three seconds, go through his read and then boom, balls out. I, I came away from this game being blown away with what Mac Jones did against one of the best defenses in football. Not, and not only that, guys, think about this. You're the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. You're going in on a Sunday night game. And you're going up against not only the greatest quarterback of all time, but the homecoming of the greatest quarterback of all time. He spent 20 <laughs> years in New England. They're chanting his name while you're warming up on the field. Like, to overcome all of that. And, of course, the, the second the ball got kicked off, New England fans hated Tom Brady as much as anybody, right? But right. the love fest and everything that was going on pregame, to not let that affect you mentally and then to go out and have the best game of your career by far – I thought was incredible. And also, you know, credit to Steve Belichick and Bill Belichick, what they were doing defensively to slow down Tom Brady, who did not have a great game. You know, Tom Brady yeah. ranked almost last in the NFL this week in terms of quarterback off target passes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was horrendous. And, and some of those are throwaways and stuff, but it, it was just cool to see. There was the one play in the fourth quarter where Tom Brady scrambled and picked up the first down lunging for it on third and six. Yeah. Like, and Chris Collinsworth said it best. He's like, you think this game means something to him, Al? And it's like, yeah, because <laughs> Tom Brady's not doing that in any other game uh, in the regular season. And I thought they just – I thought the whole game, the atmosphere, in the rain, and then coming down to a kick that in the rain would have been his career long for Nick Folk to almost hit that field goal. I thought this was – that was the coolest moment of the NFL season so far. Probably not the best game. But I really thought it was the, the most enjoyable from a fan watching perspective, just because of everything that went into it. And, you know, the 20 years of history we have watching, you know, Tom Brady go out and, and do Tom Brady things. So 
Yeah. And if you other- if you blinked if you blinked you missed it, but he Tom Brady passed Drew Brees' all time uh, passing yards record. Yeah, which they, they had no pomp or circumstance uh, over at all with Drew Brees on the sideline, which I thought was odd given the amount of pregame uh, fanfare that went on. Um, what? But you know, congratulations to Tom. I guess it was and, kind of inevitable. And compared to what they did when Drew Brees broke the record. Yeah, right. right. Remember, they like stopped yeah. the game and his family yeah. came out and it was this whole this whole thing on Monday Night Football, like compared to what they did last night. But also, I think it speaks in the differences of just how like Tom Brady couldn't have given less of a shit that he like, he was like, oh, we'll talk about that after the game. Right now, we're just we're here to win a football game. Yeah, it, it was very Tom the Brady. first quarter. <laughs> and uh, it was also weird because it it came on a correction. Yeah, they the moved spot. the ball like two yards each time. <laughs> it was they spotted weird. it, moved it one yard, and then they pushed it. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird, it was a weird uh way they kind of went through that. But that again, that was a Sunday night game. You know, I, all in all, I I like I said I just I really enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Uh, and again, I am sentimental, I get nostalgic, and even for someone who I spent years rooting against and hating, I still thought it was cool to see him come home. And um, apparently after the game. You know, Belichick and him had a quick little hug on the field, but apparently after the game, Belichick had set up a meeting to go into the locker room and talk with him. And he spent like 20, 30 minutes um, talking with Tom in the locker room. And, you know, Bill, he would never, he would, he would never, I say it like we know him personally, but like we, we know Belichick over the years, like he would never show that kind of emotion on the field. So I thought that was cool of him to, to go back, especially after all the embraces and everything. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Going back time traveling a little bit to the Thursday night game. Just want to clean up a little bit there. We said on the pod, we thought that was going to be a really interesting game to watch. And it was. It was a really entertaining game. Back and forth, Joe Burrow, really rough first half, and then was absolutely lights out in the second half. Uh, obviously, a lot of time has passed since that game happened. But I was thinking over the weekend, after watching that and factoring in everything, right, the, the upside ceiling of, of Trevor Lawrence, the mediocre, uh, mediocre rise of Joe Burrow in his senior year, plus the Joe Burrow injury last year. If you guys were, were picking right now, which guy would you rather have to be the quarterback of your franchise for the, you know, for the future? I'm still taking Trevor Lawrence. I think it's too early. And, and I think personally, I think if they were both in the same draft class, that's what would happen too. Like, I just think when you look at them as prospects and I get what you're saying, because now we have a little bit of history and, and we're seeing what Joe Burrow's doing. But for me, I think I've just been on the Trevor Lawrence train too long, and I don't think we're even close to really seeing what's going on. It's like peeling back an onion, and I think we got that the shit that you can't cook, but there's still that layer that you don't like to. Yeah. And now we're gonna peel that back. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think we're still working our way there. But even like putting yourself in the moment of 2019, right? You know, when Joe Burrow and that LSU offense was the greatest college football team we've ever seen, I would contest is still the greatest college football team we've ever seen. I think them and 2020 Bama are, are both in that conversation. They, the two of them went head to head in a national championship and it wasn't even remotely close, you know? Yeah, so like, I, go, yeah, Scott, know. what do you think, Scott? Who would you, who think, would you rather have? I think Joe Burrow was on an upward trajectory and he's in a much better situation. I think, uh, because their coach isn't, um, out dancing with, with girls, uh, after the <laughs> game, but, uh, I'm joking anyway. Sorry. I'm not sorry, Urban, actually. But anyway, um, the uh, the point is that that Burrow's in a much better situation, I think, anyway. I think the Bengals are actually a pretty good team. Uh, Burrow was, as I said, on the upward trajectory anyway, and I think he's proven that he doesn't need 
uh, Jamar Chase to be as effective and elite as as he can be. He's he's utilized T Higgins a lot this year. Uh, this Tyler, past Tyler Boyd Thursday, well. we saw Tyler Boyd kind of erupt a little bit. Yeah, so um, I I think I would go Burrow in that scenario. It's weird, right? Because all things being equal, would you rather see the upside of Trevor Lawrence? I, to me, it's like from a talent standpoint, I do think that. Trevor Lawrence has more gifts from God, right? Like he's just more natural, has more talent, but I don't think it's that far off. You know, I, I think there are some, some things that Joe Burrow does that are special. And to me, which I, this is not to take anything away from Trevor Lawrence is Joe Burrow has a mentality mentally that I think is truly special and, and truly unique. And Trevor Lawrence we've seen, you know, is, is, is not bad in that department either but I kind of would rather have the guy with who always seems to have a chip on his shoulder, but is also like the swaggiest quarterback. I think I, I ever like, like it, but like swaggy in like a non arrogant way, like not like a non Baker Manziel. way. <laughs> yeah. Not like Baker, not like Johnny Menzel, um, but just this, this swaggy confidence to him. To me, it's a, it's a coin flip. You know, I, I guess if you're, if you're going off of like, Hey, you're, you're a GM of, of, of an NFL team, which way would you lean? it'd be hard not to say the guy who is just more talented because the high, the upside is higher. And we saw, we saw flashes of, you know, that's what I said, like Trevor Lawrence looks awesome on Thursday night and he's still only, this is his fourth NFL game. I just thought that was an interesting exercise. Cause I don't, I don't know who I would pick. I would probably lean burrow just because I'm, I'm a wow. huge, I'm a huge Joey burrow fan, but I'm like, I'm like you Vito. Like I watched Trevor Lawrence's high school tape. You know, before he when I when he announced he was signing to Clemson and and broke him down before he even got to Clemson, right? I watched and covered his whole career in college, but that 2019 team in in LSU just there's something about that dude I just think is uniquely special. Um, all right, that's enough time on the Jags and the Bengals. Let's dive into the some of the games here on Sunday, and uh, we'll we'll go. I would say right here the wash. I, I, there's some games, like I said, nothing was incredible, but this game I thought was just mayhem unleashed, and that was the Washington football team and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, beginning to end, this game was back and forth, and there were moments when you'd see, uh, you know, Cordell Patterson scoring three touchdowns where you're like, holy hell, is he the, is he the best unkept weapon? Is he, is he having a year <laughs> eight, you know, leap, or do the Falcons just have nobody else they trust? You know, where is Kyle Pitts? Uh, this Washington football defense stinks, you know. And then on the other side, and by the way, I have to, I, I think I might do a cease and desist to Barstool because you guys know we have audio evidence of me saying after week one that Taylor Henneke is just the next generation's version of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And what did I hear driving into work today listening to part of my take? Barstool Big Cat stealing my take <laughs> all right and we know he's an avid listener of the show so clearly you know we need to we need to send out some get the legal team involved here yeah um, we got a lawyer that that listens so we'll be good we, we got said, a, a lawyer listener i said to you guys i didn't know whether to be mad or proud proud for sure <laughs> for sure oh, yeah. got, um because i you know that that touchdown pass that he threw on in the fourth quarter when they're driving down, which he, it was like the Jameis touchdown, uh, you know, last week where he just floats this thing up and Terry McLaurin came up and made a play on the ball. And then they, this, the two point conversion was such a clusterfuck. 
Um, coming away from this game, I don't feel really any different for, about either team. It was just insanity. And that J.D. McKissick touchdown in uh, – was it overtime or in the fourth quarter, whatever it was? It was, that, it was in the fourth. Yeah. In the fourth quarter. That J.D. McKissick touchdown and diving for the goal line, shades of Reggie Bush. Dude, you know, He left was, from the four and got in. Like that was in, over two guys. That was insane. Yeah. And I still don't know if it was actually a touchdown or not. It's just one of those that you'll never, you know, whatever's called on the field is how it's going to get called. It, it was a spectacular play. Uh, but the Falcons, I guess, are getting some offensive production here. They're getting a little bit better. I just can't get over this emergence of Cordell Patterson. Like, I, I, to me, yeah, you know, he's their leading receiver. He's their leading rusher. And he comes away with three touchdown catches. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's they spent crazy. so much. They spent so much time and capital getting Calvin Ridley a couple of years ago, getting Kyle Pitts this year in the draft to be a pass catcher, and then signing Mike Davis. And Who Cordero had a Patterson sick is out. Touchdown though, Mike Davis' yeah, touchdown did. was ridiculous. <clears throat> but, but Cordero Patterson's outperforming all three of those guys, and he's mm-hmm. much more involved in the offense than all three of those guys have been this year. So that's that's an interesting. Um, way forward but i think if you're if you're the falcons it's like hey whoever's getting the job done is and who's the hot hand is getting the ball that's the long and short of that well i think that's that it's exactly that because i think calvin really and Kyle pitts are amazing athletes even hayden hurst like they have good good like actual skill players all over but cordell patterson's a really unique matchup problem with his speed so how you use him on a field especially against this washington defense that is definitely not as good as what we thought like those matchups change week to week. And I think it's just one of those examples. And I'm not saying this because again, truth be told, I watched some condensed versions of this, but what to me, what it looked like, and I didn't go back and look at plays or hear any analysis, you know what I mean? But it, to me, what it looked like is this was a great matchup for Cordell Patterson in this game. And they exploited that over and over and over and over again, and barely squeaked out a win against or barely lost against a team that went off on offense as well. So, I mean, that that's at least my takeaway is that when you have a matchup like this, you exploit it and you keep doing it and doing it. And then guess what? Next week, they're probably going to try it again. And they're going to have like two guys keying Cordell on both sides of the line. So you can't run back and forth and all this stuff. Like we'll see adjustments, but man, was it fun uh, to at least see him get the ball so much in both the run and the, and the passing game. Well, and he's got a little bit of that, like, Devin Hester in him, where every team yeah. for years, like, try to figure out ways to get Devin Hester the ball, and it never really worked. He'd break away, you know, he'd have a deep ball touchdown, at, you know, here and there every once in a while. But, you know, Cordella Patterson, and it's, it's actually an interesting thought, like, what would Devin Hester be in the modern NFL? You know, what would he be in an Scary. offense that ran spread, you know, where it's like, hey, you know what, we actually can figure out ways to use this guy. He was never a great route runner, but just in terms of that athlete, hey, let's just get – our best athletes, let's get them the ball, let's get them in space, and let's see what they can do with it. You know, Devin Hester would have been a, a serious weapon in the modern NFL, and Cordell Patterson, who's been probably the best kick returner, punt returner we've had in the NFL for the last, I don't know, seven years or so. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're finding ways to do that, and they're finally in a, in a place in Atlanta where, you know, they're kind of utilizing it. Washington, on the other hand, you know, like I said, Taylor Henneke, he is the next Ryan Fitzpatrick. He has games with two or three interceptions. And then he has games like this where he finishes for almost 300 yards passing and three touchdowns to no interceptions, but also at least two of his touchdown passes could have been intercepted. And the, the last thing I'll say here before we move on, 
is Terry McLaurin is, you know, the nickname Scary Terry. Like, that dude is ridiculous. Uh, even on that, that touchdown pass that kind of floated up there that Hineke, you know, threw up, you know, that ball could have been intercepted. But the reason it wasn't was because of the play that Terry McLaurin did. He kind of did one of those – you know, when you would play high school basketball or, you know, intramural basketball and someone's taking a foul shot and you're on the bottom block and you're, you're supposed to back out and the guy does a little swim move or just does something to get in front of you and get position. That's what he did to get in position to catch the ball. And when you watch the replay, he was untouched. Like it was uncontested because he was so quick to get around it. And it was like the easiest touchdown catch of his life. But that is like the little things that that he does. I, I I'm I'm so enamored with and playing in a place like Washington with a quarterback like that, you know, he just doesn't get the shine that he probably deserves. And they still don't have Curtis Samuel. So maybe and the offense for Washington of all things actually hasn't looked as bad. Um, they're actually better than I thought they were. But the defense, uh, the defense is is not quite there. Let's stick in the NFC East. We talked about this game as one of the most intriguing games going into last weekend or this past weekend, with the Carolina Panthers and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we, we know how good Dallas's offense is. But a lot of the stuff I've heard today was, man, Dallas absolutely dominated this game. Well, by the end of the game, yeah. But the entire first half was not that way at all. First half was a lot of Carolina being in front, Carolina winning a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the battles. Their defense did a great job. And then the second half, all credit to the Cowboys – the Cowboys took over and they made adjustments in their game plan offensively. Stepping back after this win, you know, one of the things we talked about going into this week was this matchup is primarily going to be, you know, I think the Panthers offense was about equal to the Dallas defense, but I wanted to see how the, that Carolina defense faced going up against, you know, how they would handle going up against one of the best offenses in football. And Dak is, you know, Dak is for real. I think right now, if the season ended, Dak's our MVP. So I, well, maybe, maybe Kyler, but he's at least in the conversation as, as we stand right now. How do we feel about both teams are now three and one? Do you feel better, worse about Carolina versus Dallas? And that touchdown at the end made the score closer than it actually was, but uh, it was still the first half was really competitive. Yeah, for me, I, what I look at is that th this goes back to the young Dak days and the early Zeke days um, because. Zeke ran the ball 20 times, 140 yards. Dak only had to throw the ball 22 times and he got four touchdowns, right? He threw it like a touchdown every five passes. Like yeah. that's the kind of offense that you want to be running in general. You're usually going to dominate a game. I don't know what, I'm actually going to check time of possession right now. Um, wow. Carolina actually owned the time of possession, but had half the rushing yards that Dallas did. So I think right there, that's, that's what you look at, um, you know, and, and, when you can get going like that uh, on the run game, the pass opens up. I mean, we've talked about this forever and with the weapons they have, I, I think that's why I'm more confident in the Cowboys because of the fact that number one, their line showed up to play against a pretty good front seven <laughs> that the Panthers have. So, all right, they still have it. Cause we've seen a little back and forth on their play. So uh, that was pretty exciting to see. And I, I do think defensively um, they did enough. And that's all they need to do, right? They're they're not going to be a top five defense, but their offense can definitely be a top five. So oh, I, I disagree, man. That defense is showing up. And Dan Quinn is an absolute miracle worker right now. Uh, I don't think top he, five is a potential, is what I'm no, saying. No, no. But yeah, top five. I don't think top five either. But but 
the turnaround that's happening on that defense is unbelievable uh, on, on all three phases and especially uh, Trayvon Diggs. I mean, uh, the rookie has no touchdowns given up and five interceptions already, which is wild um, yeah. to think about. And, and, you know, I mean, good luck. Keep throwing the ball his way and see what happens. Um, five interceptions through four games is, is as absurd as I've ever seen a defensive yeah, back start. That's crazy. But this, this defense is turning it around, and Dan Quinn is, a, is the big reason why. So the one thing about that, uh, I always – here's the NFL history fact of the episode is that the guy who owns the interception record, um, uh, Night Train Lane, Dick Night Train Lane, he is a cornerback that got 14 picks in a 12-game season. He also is one of the hardest hitters in NFL history. They, they wrote the face mask ruling because he used to tackle guys like buy their face mask. Then you couldn't close arm because he did that. He's quoted as saying, there's never been a good tackle in the NFL below the eyebrows, which like that just tells you this guy's attitude. Jesus so, so he's an old school player. But the point is, is he did 14 picks in 12 games. And it's still the NFL record. We've seen five and four and we have 17 games here. So we have 12 more games. Do you think he gets the record this season? I, I think it's too early to say. I mean, what, what's the number again? How many total? 14. He's on great. He's on great. I mean, you need a hot start like this, right? Like, yeah. In order to even be in the car. It's like when guys are going for like the home run record and stuff, right? Like you need, mm. you need certain He's starts. 40 like by that. June. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. I, I think naturally it's just going to tail off, but you know, look, Dan Quinn knows how to coach defensive backs. And I've, I've heard a lot of different people on podcasts and stuff, you know, talk about, ah, you know, Dan Quinn, you know, he's doing a good job, but let's not overrate him. I was like, I, you know, because that Legion of Boom team was so loaded with talent. But like part of what was so great about those teams was like schematically what they did. You know, right, like, like, when Maxwell it, left, it's not like he was an all star corner. Like Richard Sermon was great. Yeah. And they had great safeties, but all these other like uh, puzzle pieces that he used yeah, did not were, go and break out and like become, you know, stars of their defenses. Perfectly complemented one another. Right. And so when I think about this Dallas defense as impressed, uh, and I am incredibly impressed, I think they deserve almost more credit than what they've been given. And I was wrong about it. I mean, my, having Micah Parsons, I mean, Micah Parsons to me is the front runner for defensive rookie of the year, mm. but 14 interceptions is a lot. Now, again, he's on a pretty good trajectory for it. But what are NFL teams going to do? They're going to stop throwing towards him, right? You know, it's the Namdi Asamoah treatment where Namdi was so dominant his first year where teams just stopped throwing to him. Same thing with Darrell Rivas. Same thing with Richard Sherman at his prime. Like teams just will start to pick on the other side and, and or they'll scheme up things to make sure that like, hey, we're going to try to confuse him. But also, you know, the pick six against the Eagles, like Devontae Smith fell, you know, like, yeah, it was so it was per it was perfectly thrown to him because the wide receiver was on the ground, you know, and, and those kind of lucky interceptions. I don't see the luck continuing to an extent that he's actually going to break the record. Um, I guess kind of other thoughts in, in regards For the record. To I think you will. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, we love bold predictions on this pod. We're, we're big on the bold predictions. Um what, what, I, what I would add to this game is you talked about going back to the old school Dak, right, young Dak, where they were just running the ball with Zeke behind a great offensive line. 
they're getting push up front and Zeke looks as good as he's looked in probably the last three years, which is, you know, he's slimmed down a bit. People are like, ah, he's not the same guy last year. And it's like, well, when you have, when you mix in a Tony Pollard, plus those receiving weapons. And we talked about this at length on, on Friday's pod, right. About the matchup against the Eagles and that the Eagles, yeah, they were They schemed up a bad defense, but how are you supposed to stop this team? If you don't have the personnel, if you don't have the front four, uh, in the front seven that the, the Bucks do, like we saw in week one, where you can still be okay covering one-on-one in the back or, or at least can help your defensive backs out a little bit. And this is all, by the way, without Michael Gallup still. So as soon as Michael Gallup comes back, Schultz has actually turned into a really good pass-catching tight end. The offensive line's held up better than we thought without Leal Collins. I, I feel better about my stance that, hey, the Cowboys are going to end up as a top-two team in the NFC now than I did even on Friday. But I'll say this. The Panthers are also better than I think people are giving them credit for coming out of this. People are coming out of this saying, ah, oh, the Panthers, you know, they're not a real contender, and they're not a Super Bowl contender. But could they threaten the Bucs? Maybe. The Bucs look beatable. I will continue to say that the Bucs look beatable in this division. Probably, I don't think Carolina is going to beat them, but also wouldn't be shocked, right? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Carolina wins 11 games this year. I think that's realistic. And they get to play the Eagles, and they get to play the Washington football team, and they get to play the Giants still. So, theoretically, that should be three more wins on their, rec- on their you know, on, on their record. And then on top of it, too, the other two teams in their division – the Saints, definitely beatable. The Falcons, you get them twice. So that should be another three and one. All of a sudden, damn, that's six wins right there. And we're only yeah. at four weeks in this. You know what I mean? So like you split with Tampa. I mean, you're in you're in business. Yeah. And you won there. And all of a sudden, bam, you're at 10 wins already. So to say that Carolina isn't as good as we thought they are, I think is a disservice, primarily because if you watch the first half of that game, that first half was back and forth, intense, really, really good football. And that was also without arguably the best offensive weapon in football, Christian McCaffrey. So I get it. They lost the game. It got really ugly in the second half and credit to the Cowboys for blowing it up. But I think it would be naive of people to write off the the Panthers after playing a team that might end up being a team with the best or one of the top few records in the entire NFL and definitely in the NFC. Uh, Yeah. Let's move you want on. a wild stat too? <laughs> yeah, hit us with a wild stat as we move on. It, Sam Darnold has more rushing touchdowns this year for the Panthers than the Jets have touchdowns all year. That's incredible. He also <laughs> uh, is the Got first, legs. <laughs> first quarterback ever to have five rushing touchdowns through four weeks. That's wild. Wow, I thought Cam would have had that as rookie yeah. or whatever. He had a couple big games early yeah. rushing. That's five, wild. Five rushing touchdowns through four weeks, Sam Darnold. And – we always knew he was athletic, but for him to break that, you know, to break that was impressive. And you know what, Scotty, I'm glad you brought up the Jets because we liked when we when we're doing this, like we like to talk about the main teams, the big teams. Sometimes we'll do it chronologically, but this is a game where neither team really excites us. But what a ridiculous excuse of a football game that this was! The New York Jets getting their first win. Zach Wilson had some incredible throws in yeah, this game. especially down the stretch. Yeah, And it ends with Fat Randy hooking a kick by a lot. Like, that kick had no chance of, of getting in to tie, of all things. Missing a kick 
to tie. And Vito, you were at the wedding, so your tie rule would – I mean, you would have been able to black out, but you wouldn't have been able to, you know, hop online with the boys afterwards. So it kind of – I guess you dodged a bullet there, I, you know. It was wild. We're getting pictures. It's after the ceremony, and we're getting ready for the rehearsal – or for the reception. And I'm not kidding. Like, someone's like, oh – Tennessee's driving. It will just kick the field goal. Tennessee's driving. I'm checking all this stuff. The, the photographer's like, Hey, put your phone. Like we're, we're taking pictures. And I was like, we got a tie situation on our hands. <laughs> and then, you know, we got to just everyone fucking calm down. It's just a normal day. Oh shit. And then as they line up, I'm like, Oh, this is makeable. Like, you know, he's made three of three so far and he hooks it like, and it, it, it there was a lot of movement on that ball from right to left. Yeah, um, not even close. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had to say, first of all, congrats to Jets fans. Like, glad you got your win. Um, but Tennessee, I mean, so again, this is kind of fun for me because I wasn't able to watch a lot. So just look at stats and then hear the differences between my what I think happened and then what your guys' take is, right? Yeah. So for me, when I look at this, um, the Titans had 177 rushing yards. New York had 66. Tennessee had 30 first downs. The Jets had 16. Like when I look at those numbers alone, I'm like, Tennessee probably won this game because the overall yards, Tennessee had about like 80 more. Did you look at the time of possession? 40 minutes compared to 29. That is crazy. Wow. The defense for the, the New York Jets defense was on the field for 40 minutes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So what what happened here? Because even Ooh. the Jets threw a pick. Like, like I don't understand how the Titans – didn't have turnovers. So had this great game from Derrick Henry. Throw the ball. No, no <laughs> AJ Brown. The ball. No Julio Jones. So their passing game was non-existent. It was Josh um, Reynolds, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, Josh Reynolds was the number one wide receiver, and then uh, Ferkser was it Adam Ferkser. Is that the tight end? Yeah, Anthony. Uh, yeah, Anthony, Anthony Ferkser. Yeah. Thank you. I knew it was an A name. Uh, that was all they had, and then Derrick Henry, who, by the way, I just checked rushing yards so far, leader in the NFL. Derrick Henry. Second is Nick Chubb with 362. Derrick Henry through four weeks has 510 rushing yards. He's he's getting a barring injury. He's getting over 2000 yards this year. with that extra game. Yeah, he's getting it definitely oh, with yeah. the extra game. But even through 16, he's definitely getting 500 rushing yards through four weeks of the NFL season. He yeah. is an absolute monster and it, it what's crazy is even like the short distance runs like he had a couple of runs that were really impressive what this came down to were the new york jets had seven sacks against ryan Tannehill, so Whoa. the titans were in constant like second and long third and long situations with no passing game so they held the ball for a long time they'd get in their own in their own end derrick henry would get a big run and then they drop back to pass and there'd be a sack and then Tannehill, you know, would kind of go and they would kind of piece together these these yards and these runs, but they were running the ball so much. I mean, Derrick Henry had 33 carries in this game. So the clock was constantly moving, which played a big role in their time of possession. Why it was so out of whack. And even still in regulation, you know, I'm pretty because the the time of possession there, you know, includes overtime. Right. Time of time of possession in the even in the the right in regulation, like the Titans had the ball on offense. I believe it was for like 37 minutes or something like that, like something crazy by the end of it. So this game was came down to Zach Wilson taking care of the football, made a couple of incredible throws. The Corey Davis touchdown pass and, he, and Zach Wilson directing traffic, which is 
a small thing and a lot of people are making a big deal out of it. And usually when that happens, it's not a huge deal. It speaks a lot. It speaks to the command that he has of the offense, right? As to what he's seeing, what he wants to do. And for the first time all year, Zach Wilson looked comfortable. You know, looked like he was seeing the field the way he wanted to see it. And he had, and this is the, no, everyone's talking about the Corey Davis throw. The throw, which also, no, it was to Keelan Cole going down the side to the left side of the sideline. He threw this rainbow throw, which it's a big thing in punting where they, they teach punters now where you want the nose of the ball to flip. So that way when it's coming down, it's coming down almost like a spiral, which is harder to catch from a, right. you know, like it can a punter. slip through the middle. Yeah. Right. Of your hands. Yep. And, and they, they teach punters to do that even at really good high schools and college level. Zach Wilson did that with the football, which a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL can do, but it takes a certain touch and feel to do that. And he did it right on the sideline for a 30 yard pickup on third down and dropped this thing right in the bread basket. And Keelan Cole made a great catch, keeping his feet in bounds. I don't think I've ever seen a, a toe drag go as far as mm. that one did. Um, but that throw was absolutely incredible. And it was, I, I don't know if it was the fourth quarter or, or if it was in overtime, but one of the best throws I've seen out of, probably the best throw out of all the rookie quarterbacks I've seen this year. And that's the arm talent stuff, that innate feel stuff that guys talk about. This game came down to the New York Jets defense and Robert Salah. Salah I need to look up the actual pronunciation of it. Um, Skimming a great game. But then also, if Tennessee has A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, I think this looks completely different because Ryan Tannehill had absolutely nothing to work with in the entire the entire offense was going to be predicated on what Derrick Henry did with the football. Well, that was the thing with the Jets defense is they could drop an extra guy on a box, key on Derrick Henry, and let it say, go ahead and beat me with Josh Reynolds and, and McNichols outside. Go ahead, I dare you. Yeah. Um, and so that was huge for that defense, and they rose to the occasion. No question. No question. And you know what? Shout out to Jets fans because when you have a rookie quarterback, you know your season's going to be tough, right? In a lot of ways, I'm kind of going through that right now with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts yep. only has eight career games that he's played. So you, you, you're kind of just – you want to see flashes, right? You want to see a certain amount of control and processing, but that will get better as the season continues. But you want to see those flashes of like, damn, that's why we drafted this guy where we did. This, that's why we traded our assets to get this guy. And for Jets fans, not only did they get a taste of that, but they also got a win. And if you're a New York Jets fan, you have to feel – so much better about Zach Wilson compared to what you saw through the first three weeks to what we saw in week four. The other game that went to overtime, the other New York team, great day for New York football fans. The Giants getting their first one of the season as well, in overtime as well, as Schefter pointed out, first time in NFL history that both New York teams won in overtime on the same day, which seems like a really kind of dumb throwaway stat, but considering how long both of those teams have been around, it is somewhat interesting. Uh, the Saints, this is an offense where I know we love Jameis on this pod and we want to see Jameis do well. Hell yeah. But unless you're up big, this offense is in trouble, man, because they, they're not letting – either Jameis isn't seeing it or they're not letting Jameis work the underneath stuff, work the mid-range, and it's basically boom or bust. And then they keep bringing in Taysom Hill, who had an unbelievable touchdown run. He broke – how many ta- was it? Seven, seven. guys, it was seven tacklers. Yeah. And it was a run from the 12 yard line. And yet he broke seven tackles on his way to the end zone. The saints offense is kind of broken. 
Uh, their defense is still pretty good. But for the Giants, you know, we saw some good things, right? They finally got the rookie first-round pick, Kadarius Toney, this guy who's an absolute playmaker due to injury to the other wide receivers there. They finally utilized him. And it's like, oh, wait, yeah, this guy is explosive, can break tackles, can do things in the running game, can do things in the passing game. Maybe we should get him the ball. Well, they finally got him the ball. And now Saquon, four games back from injury, looks more like the version of Saquon than, that we are accustomed to than the version Every we week. saw through the first three weeks. Yeah. yeah. So stepping away from this, I'm curious now four games in, you know, we were all kind of split on what we thought about the Saints. I thought the Saints were heading towards a rough season. Vito, you thought the Saints were going to be, you know, a, a threat. And, and Scotty, you kind of split the middle. Would you, if you could, would you want to change your outlook on, on the Saints here moving forward? You know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go first because I should probably be the one that's going to change, but hell no. Hell no. Because you know why? Jameis in this loss still had a 120 quarterback rating, right? He was 73, 74% on his completion percentage. He had touchdown, no picks, but didn't get many yards. Like you're saying, a lot of it was shorter. Um, I think it's so, the most passing yards he's had this season, though. Yeah. And, and I think that's what a lot of the narrative is going to be is like, how do we get, how far down do they need to be or, or how, you know, when are they going to take these big shots more often? Because that's what Jameis is used to in Tampa. That's why he had so many, so many massive seasons, those 4,000 and 5,000 yard seasons. And, you know, obviously that's something that Drew Brees did in, in New Orleans. So, What's going on? Why is it such a different change? And then the Taysom Hill stuff, just keep him running the ball, man. I mean, he threw a pick. Like, just you don't need a turnover like that trying to get him involved. I would rather keep him, see him on the ground or at least maybe catching. I, I don't know. But I think that's something like, why don't you let your elite number one overall quarterback, Jameis Winston, handle the throwing, all right? <laughs> Which I think they did. You know, he only threw three passes. Yeah. Taysom Hill also had two rushing touchdowns. But to me, fantasy giving, monster, <laughs> giving the ball to Taysom Hill in the running game is taking away from your best player, who I still feel like no one all year has talked about Alvin Kamara. He had his best season, he had his best game of the year this season, at least, uh, putting up was it 20, 26 carries for 120 yards. But that was also like there were no big explosive plays. They're not really using him in the passing game like at all. And this massive weapon that you have that you paid money to to be this guy, you're not using because of this weird pseudo offense that you have. And, and look, Sean Payton will, you know, it's a cliche line, but he'll forget more football than I'll ever know. But Alvin Kamara didn't get a target in the passing game. Not only didn't have any catches, didn't have a target. And to, to me, that just seems like a waste of someone who could, who is one of the most talented players in the NFL. Yeah, Scotty, and that's would, what gets would you that's change? what gets Kamara going. No, I don't think I would change, and I'll tell you why. Is the the way the schedule is laid out for the rest of the year. Uh, tough games, like really tough games. They've got the Bucks twice. They've got the Cowboys, um, but that game's at home, uh, and the Panthers again, of course. Um, other than that, it's, it's Seattle who doesn't stop the run. I think that's a really big game for Kamara. Um, They've got the Titans who, and, and again, to the Saints defensive credit, usually we're talking about their secondary being, you know, the thing that, that drives them. Their run defense this year has been phenomenal. Even as good a game as Saquon had, it wasn't out of the backfield. He only, they limited him to 50 something yards, 56 yards, I think. Um, 52. And that's, yeah. Okay. That's one of the best backs in the league. 
so so you're you're playing a game against the Titans. Like you, if your run defense stays that good in a couple of weeks here, um, they, I, I see no reason why they couldn't shut down or limit Derrick Henry rather than uh, you know Derrick Henry doing his thing. Um, and the Eagles, same thing. I mean, they don't run the ball very effectively. That's been clear over the last couple of weeks. Um, and the, and the Bills, uh, they play as well. Um, but then you got a bunch of cupcakes. You got the Jets, the Dolphins. Um, Falcons twice. So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't change my, my middle of the road approach here. I think it's a, a 10, 11 ish, maybe 12 win season. If you can sneak in one of those games. I, I think that I think seven, which if I go back, which I have, I think I have here still it might just be the AFC picks that I have, but I, if I was going to pick between the, between all that, I think I, I would say seven, I think seven wins is, is where this team ends up. Um, well, it- got to remember too michael thomas is coming back at some point so yeah, james well, is going to have way more stuff to throw to which which is fair but at this he, he will come in and immediately be the best you know the best player in that you know in, in that wide receiving room but at the same time michael thomas didn't look good last year and we just at this point we don't know if that was because of drew Brees' arm strength and all that kind of stuff or if it's because michael thomas just isn't quite the guy that he was, you know, two years ago, who was unbelievable. And he's dealt with injuries and he's been banged up, you know, like, yeah, Michael Thomas could come in and be incredible. And, and I'd have no problem with that. But at the same time, I'm not ready to say that Michael Thomas is going to all of a sudden change the trajectory of where this team ends up. And that is a hard schedule. Like the bills, that's a loss, you know, the Cowboys, that's probably a loss. Uh, the, you know, and, and in their own division, you still got Tampa Bay twice. Those are probably two losses. You got Carolina twice. That's a one in, you know, they already lost one. So they got Carolina another time, right? So Falcons, they should win both of those. But even when the Falcons were really bad and they still drew Brees, they lost the game to Atlanta. So I, I just don't see New Orleans really getting over that hump because as weird as, and again, as cliche as it is to say, when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And I think that's kind of where we're standing here. On the other side of this game, real quick, uh, this is the Daniel Jones game that gets people really excited about it. But I'm telling you this now, if you walk away from this game feeling like, oh, Daniel Jones is now the guy because he has one really good game, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. <laughs> all right? It's, it's Mitch Trubisky all over again, right? Mitch Trubisky had games like this. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has had games like this. Josh McCown has had games like this. You can go through the history of the NFL, even in recent history, and look at guys who are talented players who can break off. But if you think Daniel Jones is now the guy because of one game here where he looked admittedly fantastic, you're kidding yourself. All right, Daniel Jones is, is still not the guy. He had a really great game in a tough environment with that stadium being back in New Orleans. And all three of us were wrong about this game. All three of us picked New Orleans. But again, if, if you're walking away from this thinking like, oh, Daniel Jones is the guy, you're, you, you're kidding yourself. All right, let's not, let's not read into it. But an interesting game, uh, to say the least. Now we, we kind of hit a tier now where pretty much every game at, at, to this point on was kind of a dud. So to me, I kind of just want to start going into some of the more interesting storylines that we kind of can take away from this. And I think the game we go to there is the NFC West battle between the Cardinals and the Rams. It was a blowout. It was Kyler Murray looking as incredible as we thought. You know, I go back to what we were talking about last week with Kyler Murray's escapability and how that was going to make that, that 
vaunted defense in, in LA, you know, really struggle. But to me, the big takeaway of this game was the Cardinals defense going up against the LA Rams, who to this point seemed like the most unstoppable offense in football, putting up 30 plus against Tampa Bay the week before. And they scored 20 points and Matthew Stafford, you know, didn't look comfortable. And what's weird is they were able to move the ball. Okay. That 121 rushing yards, 280 yards through the air in total, you know, Van Jefferson had the deep touchdown. Um, but it, it was a, and again, it was a late touchdown to Robert Woods that kind of made this game seem somewhat, you know, to get it to 17, you know, otherwise this was going to be a, a 24 point drubbing, but the Cardinals, I think, they're here as long as they're they're here to stay and, and to be a factor as long as they're you know playing a team that people think are better than them. because when it's the second then they start playing teams that are supposed to be worse than them they play down to their competition they play up against teams that they're supposed to be you know they again they were down nine points in the third quarter with three minutes left in the third quarter a week ago to the Jacksonville Jaguars and yes they came back won the game a win to win I get all that but Arizona. When they go up against a team that they really should, you know, be up against to play, we saw this on the road. They looked fantastic yesterday. Yeah, they it's did. All those and rushing it, yards, man. Like they yeah. had two over two hundred rushing yards. Yeah, um, that's what I was. I was just about to say. A, a credit to their offensive line too, not just their defense, but their offensive line held up against that. What I think is the best defensive line ever assembled. Uh, in the in the Rams, so just to get every I, defense with Aaron Donald, every D line with Aaron Donald. Well, like, yeah, but I, ever assemble. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Vito, keep going. We're on the same page. No, I, I mean, I I think that's really it. And I was going to ask you guys because again, this is one I didn't get to see until later. But the the dynamic between Chase Edmonds and James Connor in the ground mm-hmm. game, it just it, it's like James Connor more carries. He only had fifty yards. He had eighteen carries for fifty yards, but two tutties. Chase Edmond has 12 carries for 120 yards, 10 yards a pop. So obviously there's a big play in there too, but like, what, what did you guys see on the ground game there? You know, I know it's hard on red zone sometimes, but since this was a later game, you know, usually you can see a little more of it. So yeah. what was the feel like of the game? So when I watch football, I have my main TV set up on red zone and then I have another TV and usually my laptop set up on two of the other games. So I can kind of bounce around, but I went back and rewatched this game because when I was looking at the statistics, I was genuinely just blown away at what I saw out of, out of this rushing game, because this is a, this is a team. When you think about oh, all the weapons, Deandre Hopkins, AJ green, uh, you know, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, all these pass catchers, you know, and even chase Edmonds, you know, out of the backfield and stuff as well. Like you think it's a team full of, uh, of flat out passing air raid almost. And you think the same thing when you think of cliff Kingsbury, the fact that they were able to run the ball this well was incredible. And I, one of the thoughts I had watching this game on Sunday was James Conner because we basically left him for dead last year, you know, and the change of scenery alone, I think helps, but there's also, it's more than that because he gets 18 carries. He gets six more carries than chase Edmonds finishes with 50 yards and two touchdowns but he's not running that Pittsburgh Mike Tomlin offense where you're, you're going back in a power set and big Ben's, you know, under center, like they're running this zone read kind of running scheme, which I think fits his game right now better, but you're also not giving him the ball 25 to 30 times a game. Like he was getting in, in Pittsburgh. He's not getting banged up the way that he was. 
And he's finding ways to kind of get the edge. Cause I think we've thought of James Connor as his power back and he's not, it's not that he can't do that. He's definitely their goal line back, but he likes to get to the edge. He likes to get in space. He likes to use his speed to his advantage because he's big and he's fast. And Chase Edmonds is this scat back, at least, you know, kind of thought, but I think Chase Edmonds, you know, his comp in the modern NFL right now is Tony Pollard. The two of them are kind of interchangeable to me where it's a guy who's slightly under, undersized, but likes to run in between the tackles. And you can mm-hmm. also use him in the passing game, but you're also not going to give him, again, 20 touches a game. You're going to try to use him. He had, you know, he had five targets this week and four catches for 19 to go on top of his 12 carries where, you know, James Conner only ends up with two car- uh, two targets, you know, and two catches. And yeah. I-, I think this offense can beat you in so many different ways, but the, you know, the wheel that makes it all go is Kyler Murray. You know, Kyler is just so hard to track. And the throw he had to Max Williams, the touchdown pass, was just absurd. I, I think he's the first player – I heard a stat that it was he was the first player where he had 12 touchdowns passes through the first two weeks that went to 12 different players. Or or their first no, 12 touchdowns. No, that was touchdowns. the Niners stat, yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was um, the 49ers. But, well, yeah. <laughs> that's what I get for drinking beers on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> no, but, but no. to to the the rushing um, note is not only is is it the offensive line and Kyler making a tick, it's the play call. They run these four wide receiver sets, and on on one of these plays, you get a bomb of a touchdown to AJ Green. They run the same look, and and all of a sudden we we get the the option play, and, and Kyler makes the right read and gives Chase Edmonds pops a fifty four yard run but it's the same offensive look. So how do you, you got to respect the pass now that, that Kyler made one and you know, he can make them every game and, and you can't drop an extra guy in the box. And so now you get the, the same look and, Oh, all of a sudden now we're going to run the ball and, and beat you that way too. It's, it's, it was just great play calling. Yeah. And that's, and that's the difference that somebody like Cliff Kingsbury, you know, who, a lot of people question even still, why did, why is this the guy that you went after? You know, this guy who had just been hired to be the offensive coordinator at USC. And before he even gets there, you're going to hire him to be your head coach. His offensive, him as a play caller, he's as good as anybody in, in football. And you're pairing him up with a quarterback who is as dangerous, creative, um, and, and unique as anybody we've really seen. And, a lot of credit to the Cardinals. I, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't think any less of the Rams, right? The Rams are three and zero, looking like world beaters. They still were able to move the ball pretty well. They ran the ball better this week, having Daryl Henderson. And I think moving forward, you know, Cooper cup had 13 targets and only five catches, right? Teams have caught up on the, Hey, Matthew Stafford, Cooper cup. That's a thing. So you're going to have to beat us in other ways. And I trust Sean McVay to say, Hey, Cooper Cup's not our only weapon. Robert Woods has been overlooked a lot this year. And in fact, the garbage time touchdown pass went to Robert Woods. So the more they do that, the better I think that they will be. Because the more you start utilizing the other weapons in your offense, the more Cooper Cup is going to be able to be open. And it's just going to be about balance. And I think the Rams, look, when they play again later in the season, the Rams are going to be coming for, for vengeance. You know, this is not, this is, uh, this is, not not a game that the Rams are cool with getting blown up by 17 probably could have been even uh, even worse. Uh, Browns Vikings. This was an a 
what felt like a big 10 football game, right? I believe the Browns alone punted seven times. <laughs> um, yeah. Seven it, to six punts. And, and, and yeah, there you go. So 13 punts in total, Jesus Christ. Um, but the Browns, what the big takeaways I guess from this are when you're just looking at the game specifically, these are two coaches and two coaching staffs that know each other really, really well. Kevin Stefanski's, I believe the numbers 13 years, 13 or 14 years he spent working for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he knows Mike Zimmer incredibly well. The two of them have a relationship and, and similar to what we saw with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, we saw Kevin Stefanski going up against his mentor and Mike Zimmer and Mike Zimmer knew how to try to slow them down. The big difference being here is you Dalvin cook still is not hundred percent healthy and penalties absolutely destroyed Minnesota undisciplined football killed the Vikings. And on the other side, we saw a really, really good defense in Cleveland continue to be really, really good. <laughs> this game to me, you know, it's unbelievable that the Vikings, there's a, there's a realistic case to be made that the Vikings could be four and out. And oh, they, very realistic. We, I think we talk about it every week we go through and it's like, I can't believe they lost again. Yeah. This one, it's only seven points. And, and to be honest, again, uh, how many times we're we going to say this? It came down to the rushing game. I mean, Browns had 184 yards on the ground and yeah. Vikings could only muster up 65. You know what I mean? Dalvin cook just, you know, when that all happens, just, it, it doesn't bode well for their offense. And they couldn't ride Dalvin cook the way that they normally no. would want to. Right. You know, it was clear by how many touches Alexander Madison was getting, you know, who actually ended up with more carries than Dalvin cook did that they couldn't trust you know, Dalvin cook. And also it's a long season. You don't want your bell cow back to be done for the year because you overuse him in his first game back, which is probably maybe a week too soon, but at least in that kind of conversation and Alexander Madison is a good running back, but I think Cleveland, we talked about this preseason. I think Cleveland's one of, if not the best defense in the NFL, because they're the, the, the thing that amazes me about this Cleveland defense is the amount that they're re relying on rookies, right? Uh, Jeremiah Usu-Koromo, we talked about him at nauseum. He fell to the second round because of a heart condition that has not been a hindrance whatsoever, and the Browns end up getting a steal, a guy who could have been a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. They end up getting in the late second round. Uh, Grant Delpit, who missed his entire rookie season there with, a, with an ACL injury, he's come back. We weren't really sure what to make of him. He comes in and plays great. Denzel Ward, who's had a bit of an up and down start to his career, has looked awesome as a shutdown corner on the outside. And then the emergence of Jadavian Clowney, or reemergence, as you say, who is a guy who always creates quarterback pressures, just doesn't always get the sack numbers. He's causing mayhem because when you're rushing Miles Garrett from the other side, you're getting one on ones with Jadavian Clowney. And if nothing else, he's going to disrupt the play. And it was very evident in this game in particular that Kirk Cousins was not comfortable not for a second in this game. And all of the numbers reflect that. So credit to the Cleveland Browns defense. And with a guy like Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, you're going to have games where he looks bad. And he looked bad. He looked really bad this week. You know, didn't turn the ball over, which is big. But this was not a good Baker week. And credit to Minnesota for, for scheming up a defense to slow down that, those pass catchers. But when Rashard Higgins and Odell Beckham Jr. are your, you know, your only guys in, in this version of Odell in his second game back, you kind of have to rely on the running game, but they have the best backfield in football, so they can do that. And so you can win with defense and running if Baker's not on his, you know, best game of the year. 
So, yeah, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, they, I mean, uh, their defense not... is is Super Bowl caliber. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, it's nasty. And their run game is too. Absolutely, absolutely. In uh, some of the other games that are talkable, you know, because there's some here like, look, Texans, right. Bills, right? That, one, that was yeah. Buffalo flexing on everybody. We'll talk a lot of Buffalo in this upcoming on Friday's pod because Buffalo's going to Kansas City on Sunday night, which is going to be an awesome game. I cannot wait for it. But, you know, the Houston Texans, Davis Mills, yikes, man. Yeah. Yikes. Not not great, Bob. And that's even with, like, if they had an interception on the opening kickoff, uh, on the opening series against Buffalo, right? And I remember I was, I was driving home from Philly from this wedding, and I'm, like, listening to Red Zone on, on my phone, and they're like, oh, there's a pick. I'm like, man, is Houston going to be frisky in this? And it's like, no. <laughs> By the time there's like seven minutes left <laughs> in the fourth quarter, Mitch Trubisky is coming in to take reps just so Josh Allen doesn't get hurt. Um, so, you know, we don't have to dive too much into that game. Uh, Indianapolis, Miami, you know, like good for Carson Wentz, gets his first, you know, game of the year. Miami, backup quarterback, defensive lines banged up just don't look like a great team right now. And it's a shame because I like Brian Flores, but Jonathan Taylor basically just ran at will. And that allowed, you know, Carson Wentz to have some openings and, and Carson Wentz, you know, did enough. You know, this is, this is, you know, Colts fans are going through what I did for four years, which is you're going to see moments where you're like, damn, this guy's awesome. And look at this win that they had, but it doesn't change how I feel about it, man. And, and I don't think it changed how anybody should, but no. the Colts, that AFC South, especially with Tennessee losing, the AFC South is oh, yeah, holy wide God. open. That, that could we could have a seven and ten win team, you know, with seven win team, seven and ten is the final record win that division realistically, which is insane to think about. Even with yeah. the extra game, you'd hope they'd at least get the eight and nine. But when you look at the when you look at the schedules, it's 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 tough. Um, but in terms of games that are worth talking about, because those are the two that I don't really think are, are worth talking about too much. Chiefs-Eagles. Um, this is an interesting game because we saw the Chiefs bounce back, which is basically kind of how we all thought it was going to go. We thought the Chiefs were going to be able to tear up that defense. They were able to. Tyreek Hill, who had been quiet for two weeks, just decides to explode. Uh, you know, and, and again, another reason why I love having that match, that that marriage in fantasy football of him and Travis Kelsey. It just when one doesn't go off, the other one gets a 30 or 40 point day. And and Travis Kelsey or uh, Tyreek Hill had himself a day. But to me, this what's interesting about this game is on the Philadelphia Eagles side, because we didn't really learn anything new about Kansas City other than, you know, the defense is maybe a little bit better. But I want to take a second to talk about Jalen Hurts. Because I Jalen Hurts played bad on Monday night, but I wasn't writing him off by any means. He's only eight career starts in. He right now is fourth all time in quarterbacks through their eighth start through their eighth start in total yards. The names ahead of them are Cam Newton. Uh, I believe I believe it's Cam Newton, Patrick Mahomes, and. Russell Wilson, I think is the third. I don't have this. I don't have the stat up in front of me right now, but he's fourth all time in total yards through eight starts. Um, he did some really, really good things. The Eagles, you know, everyone talked about, Hey, the chiefs didn't punt in this game. Neither did the Eagles. The Eagles didn't punt in this game. The offense did some things, the red zone play calling, not great, but again, I'm not an NFL coach. It's hard for non coaches, non players to talk about play calling and really criticize. Cause we don't know everything that's going on. And 
I look at Jalen Hurts and see, you know, after a really bad performance on Monday night to go up against a team like the Chiefs and play well, I was impressed. So I'm not ready to write off uh, Jalen Hurts in this one, you know, in terms of the guy. He's only eight starts in. You know, he's half a season in. He's basically still a rookie. And, and he's put up some historic numbers for a guy who came in with everything he had to deal with with the Carson Wentz stuff last year. New head coach this year, new system to still be producing, even if it's not great. And the Eagles also had in this game three touchdowns get taken back because of penalties. So that's that's just brutal to watch as a fan. Oh, it's horrible. It's just terrible. But even just from like an analyst, like trying to be analytical about it, like you can't blame hurt, you know, you can't blame Hurts for that, right? There was a touchdown to Dallas Goddard that got called back because fucking Andre Dillard is is lined up, you know, wrong and is too far back from the offensive line and had no effect on the play whatsoever. But a touchdown gets called back. With second time this year that a the Eagles had a deep touchdown pass get called back because of the illegal touching rule, which I just think is so stupid. I think it's so, so stupid. Um, but then another bright spot, Devontae Smith, seven catches for 122 yards. You know, I, I think we're starting to see some good things. And, and you know, let's trust and, and let Jalen Hurts develop because every rookie quarterback has a bad game. You know, like they had on, like the Eagles had on Monday night, and they came back and, and they moved the ball well here against a banged up bad Chiefs defense, nonetheless. Yeah, I don't know. When I'm thinking about this game, it, it's just one of those where it makes me, you see the overall score, Mahomes threw five touchdowns. It's just like the Chiefs defense is going to be the question mark here, which is wild because Chiefs haven't also been the most dominant offense yet, but they definitely went out there and, and, put up some yards, but so did the Eagles. They're both around 460, 470. Um, Kansas City ran the ball, almost doubled the Eagles rushing yards. And yeah. the theme of the weekend seems to be you run the ball well, you win. So uh, it just falls into that category. Yeah, I know. And it, to me, it looked like at a certain point, the Eagles defense just gave up trying to make sure they covered Tyreek Hill. Um it just like you, that's the one guy on the field that you can't you can get away with some some miscues up the middle with with Travis Kelsey beating you, but you cannot lose sight of Tyreek Hill at any point. So, um, yeah, and Darius, that, that was a huge difference maker. Darius Slay got burnt a couple times. Steve Nelson on the other side got burnt a couple times. Anthony Harris, who is probably my least favorite Eagle right now, got burnt. But guys, this is this is my biggest concern about the Eagles. Speaking slightly as a fan here, just as someone who wants to see Sirianni everyone do well, through four weeks, the Eagles have forty-four penalties. That's that uh, is, too many penalties. They are on pace to have the most penalized football team in the history of the NFL. Man, and one of those direct indicators as to a to a well-coached team is penalties, and. I'm starting to get a little worried. Look, we're four games in, but Sirianni, you know, they look great in week one and everything was great, but we got three weeks in a row here. They go to Carolina, then they play Tampa Bay, and I forget who they play after, but it's a, uh, another team that will probably kick their ass. So it's a tough stretch for the Eagles right now, and there's a legitimate chance that they come away starting, you know, one 1-0 and oh, and then dropping five or six straight afterwards, which – that's a tough start. And in Philly, fair or unfair, people are going to get after you if you're not, you know, showing some signs of improvement. And it's things like touchdown passes. On the season, Jalen Hurts should have six touchdown passes more 
but six of them got taken off the board because of penalties. Yeah, just, check this stretch out. I, I, it's Panthers at Panthers uh, versus uh, Bucks at home, um, then at Vegas, and, and then they get the, they're out Detroit, but then they get the Chargers and Broncos right after that. Yeah. <laughs> It's rough. That's tough stretch. <laughs> but they end the season with, I believe, it's Jets, Washington, Giants, Washington. I believe that's their yeah. first four games, right? Our last four games. Uh, so the Cowboys are in there too, yeah. And the Cowboys, there's the the other Cowboys game right there. So they have a chance to end the season strong, <laughs> go into the offseason with on a positive note, uh, because this team is still talented. But getting them to buy in for the full season with everything is going to be tough. Um, speaking of coaches that may not be super popular with their city. The Chicago bears get a win. Justin Fields looked pretty good. Uh, the, the poor Detroit lions, man, we all three of us thought the lions had a chance here to do, to do well, but this offense, I mean, David Montgomery had a scary injury. He was on a tear before he got hurt in the third quarter. Luckily though, they're saying it was the hyperextended knee that he had. The first reports are that it's not, season ending not like an acl which is great news um because david montgomery has been awesome this year he's the i believe uh, third or fourth leading rusher in the nfl as we uh, currently speak and he had two touchdowns to that point but justin fields needs a running game in order to keep this up but he had a good day 11 to 17 209 yards you know that's that's a good day that's a good day and uh I, i give justin fields man for all the adversity and everything else he looks pretty good. Darnell Mooney, guy we talked about preseason, is having a breakout year. You know, if he and Justin Fields could get on the same page, five catches for a buck twenty-five. Um, good day for the uh, for the Bears. Rough day for the Lions, but I'm happy to see that the Bears at least committed to letting Justin Fields, you know, do Justin Fields things. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is one of those games that I feel like it, this was one of those moments where it's like which one's the worst in the nfc north like here we go we're gonna find yeah. out you know what i mean it's like all right the lions are because they've played it they played a lot better teams closer than this so now it's almost like what the hell's going on here detroit we were kind of i think we we're all on the on the point of all right like they they got this one yeah. um and and that didn't work out i i just don't understand what Nagy's doing like Start Justin Fields, continue to start. I don't care. Just make a decision. Don't come out today and say, uh, well, if Andy Dalton's the starter or healthy, he's going to be the starter. What? You just won a game with Justin Fields leading the team. Yeah. Like, how do you expect your offense to get any chemistry at all? Uh, look at Dar- Darnell Moody's a perfect example. He had such a phenomenal chemistry with, and Allen Robinson did too, for that matter, but with, with Justin Fields. Like, why would you upset that after yeah. you just won a game? I, I don't get it. I don't get the math um, unless you are just tired of Chicago, which I don't understand. That's an excellent city, uh, and you should want to be there. I, I just don't understand what you're, you're doing because you're playing yourself out of a job. His brain broke. I told you. The double doink broke his brain. He is <laughs> no longer a normal person. His brain is, has been split <laughs> in half. Um, no, it's ridiculous. And the quote that pissed me off last week, was him saying, I think it was Friday, was him saying, I know what I'm doing in a press conference. I'm like, bro, no offense. You don't know what you're doing. You think you know what you're doing, but no, you you do not know what you're doing. Because if you did, 
you'd be getting the most out of Justin Fields right now and telling your ownership, hey, look what I did with our rookie quarterback. Let me continue to build on this because that's a better case than dragging Andy Dalton in there, the corpse of Andy Dalton, and letting him you know, go out and try to barely, I don't know, get crushed. Now, apparently he might have unannounced given up play calling duties. But that wasn't, that wasn't confirmed. Now, if it's true, then, uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because you just want a football game, and you can con- hopefully continue to develop this guy. But Nat Nagy is, is – I don't know what the hell he's doing. I was God really hoping the Lions it. would beat him and they would, they would just fire his ass. Uh, all right, we got three more games to get to. Seattle and San Francisco. Rough one for your boys, Scotty. The Jimmy G injury really kind of put the nail in the coffin for it, unfortunately. Um, Trey Lance didn't look great, but he also got put in a tough spot. You know, he came out there at the right in the beginning of the uh, right at the end of the first half. Right. I think he came out and like, yeah, in the second half, yeah. he just didn't, he just did not look, look comfortable in that role. And Seattle, you know, it's a, it's a divisional matchup, which I think when anytime that happens and it's Russell Wilson, like anything can happen. Right. You know, and, and the Niners defense looked amazing in the first half, but if it wasn't for that inc- insane Russell Wilson touchdown pass that completely flipped the momentum of the game, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of plays like that for Seattle really turned this game around. And, and with the, that plus the injury to Robbie gold, where they had their punter out there kicking field goals and Kyle use was back there holding, holding the ball for him. You know, they were just put in tough spots. And, and unfortunately for the Niners, I just don't think this was a game that they were realistically, you know, going to be in. I think, I think they were um, in the first half. And obviously it was a one possession game, but, you know, the way I think the difference was the way that, first of all, the secondary. Um, and I called that because the secondary has been banged up. And I was like, if I, I think I said it last week, if there was a time for, um, DK and, yeah, you and called Russell it. Wilson to get on the same page, then this would be the time. And they did. Um, but even then the defense was tough enough to keep him in the game. And, you know, Trey Lance forced Kyle Shanahan to call, um, running place with a minute and a half left to go. When you're down, you got to score at least three times and give Russell Wilson the ball back too. So like, that's the kind of the, the, I think it was a lot of adrenaline, uh, he looked like if he saw any like replays where you could kind of see his face, he had the big eyes, every play he was like, Oh my God, what's happening? Um, so um, he'll get there. It was a, it was a rookie game for him, but you know, forcing, forcing us to call plays like that, that late in the game uh, when we should be slinging it every play. That's the, that, that to me was one of the big differences as well. Yeah. He was just not ready for it. He just wasn't ready for the moment. And and this is why I said, you know, like I get Niners fans have their, have their issues with Jimmy G but you just can't go in and start a dude as raw as him who was going up against FCS yeah. defenses a year ago, you know, and for that matter, one FCS Ooh, defense a year yeah. ago, right. You know, yeah. and, and I, I feel for Niners fans because that's a game that through the first half and you're seeing the not, you know, Seattle had negative total yards through the first, what was it, like the first quarter and a half of the game first quarter and a half. Yeah. And, and then, you know, they kind of charge back, but this was a must win game for Seattle. And Russell Wilson knew it. And Vito, you're the one that said it last week when we were talking about it, which was that, hey, when it when in doubt, who's the quarterback on the, on the other side? And it's if it's Russell Wilson in a must-win game, you got to go with that guy. Yeah. Uh, what's crazy to think about when you look at the stats from here, the Seahawks had 234 yards. San Fran had over 
450. That almost doubled them in passing yards. You're talking, you know, Seattle only had 129, but it was the, and, and they were only two for 10 on third down. Like Seattle did not play their best game by any means, but Russell Wilson was efficient. He had two touchdowns, good completion percentage and, and did just enough, you know? Um, yeah. it, again, this is one where um, looking at the stats uh, that 14 total punts in this game. So uh, another punt city game. San Fran had all those yards, but they did have eight penalties for 78 yards too. So um, you can, you can gain all you want. If you get a 15 yard, 10 yard holding, man, it's hard to really take that and get a first down. And that's where you can lose a game right there. Yeah. Drive killers, rookie quarterback who, again, like I think Trey Lance is going to be good. And if you gave him a full week of prep saying like, Hey, you're the starter, you know, you're working with the ones, all that stuff. But even like the touchdown pass that Debo Samuel, who is leading the league in receiving yards, by the way, by about 80 yards, um, you know, even that plat, you know, that, that play, he underthrew that ball, but also Debo was as wide open as I think I've ever seen a wide receiver be open in the NFL. Uh, Talk about busted coverages. Shanahan's a good coach. They're a good football team. If Jimmy G is able to, you know, come back, you know, I, I think there's still some serious upside with them to, to be a playoff team. Still no real running backs. And they had a guy in there who was a practice squad journeyman. Was it Peterson or, or something? Who I don't even know. Let me pull up no. the guy's name. There was a running back for San Francisco who was like, literally was on, had never had a first NFL game. Patrick. Um, yeah. Jacques, Jacques Patrick had been a practice oh, yeah. squad guy. Uh, played in the um, – he was a uh, what did he play? He was a quarterback and he was a running back in college at Florida State, and uh, you know he had a he this was his first NFL game, and he only ended up with two carries. But Trey Sermon was the only running back from the opening day roster that they had, and even still, he wasn't even active on opening day. So tough one. Debo continuing to be to look good, but yeah, when when college you sex your your number two leading receiver, that's a that's a rough day. Um, that's all right. We're doing better in, a, in another sport in San Francisco, so we're yes, focused on Yes, you are. That. Giants are on baseball. We are going to hit on that, uh, by the way. I, when, as the playoffs get going, we're going we're gonna to dabble a little bit into the uh, MLB playoffs, so be on the lookout for that. Last two games here, uh, the Packers blow out Pittsburgh, and the Steelers stink. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> Steelers stink. They had their full defense back, but I'll say this. Full defense back. I think they'll be better now that they have the whole defense there, but that Pittsburgh offense just can't do anything, man. They got, they have two no. plays in the passing game, chuck it deep or dump it down to Najee Harris. And what's crazy is with all those talented wide receivers, they are skip Matt Canada scheming nothing in the mid range, nothing in that medium ground or big Ben's just not throwing there. He's throwing it deep or he's checking it down to Najee. We predicted Najee's going to get wasted in his rookie year. He's getting a ton of touches and is making plays, but he's kind of like a one-man army out there. It was nice to see Deontay Johnson back, but as soon as the Packers got into rhythm, man, the Packers are just – the Packers are good, dude. Packers are a really good football yeah, team. they're nasty. I mean, that duo with – I mean, they're always good. They've always been good, but this year they just look like they're on a different level, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it's it's a marvel to watch because the route running is perfect every time. The throws are almost every time perfect. Um, I think and it's they can my, do it in, in so many different ways too. It, it, it's like 
it's up there with, you know, if, if you're going to talk about the best quarterback wide receiver tandems of the last, you know, 15 years, I, it's up there with, with every, I mean, to me, it's like Tyreek and Patrick Mahomes, those two Devonte Adams and, and Aaron Rodgers, and then like Brandy Moss and Tom Brady, you know, other than that, you know, when you talk about just elite of the elite at both positions. Yeah. That's what we're seeing right now. And you don't, you don't see it all the time. But it's that thought of it's like, hey, it doesn't even matter what you do schematically. You're still he's still getting the ball to him. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And it, you hope to slow it down. But it, it's it's scary, man. They're a ridiculous. And I'm talking just wide receivers, not even because then Gronk and Brady and, and Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antonio Brown too. and Roethlisberger. How about that? Yeah, you could throw that. You could throw that duo in there as well. But I think Devontae Adams and Roethlisberger are. Devontae Adams and Rodgers are, are, are just as good, honestly. Uh, yeah, no the doubt. Only, the only other thing about this afternoon game is, dude, I'm just a Broncos man. Well, yeah, that's the last game. By the way, before we switch, though, fun oh. note. Last time the Steelers and Packers played with Rodgers and Roethlisberger was the Super Bowl in 2013. Wow. 11. 2011. Sorry, 2011. Yeah. Yeah, that was the last time the two of them squared off. I thought that was interesting. But, yeah, that's why your, your Broncos had a rough day. Injury to Teddy Bridgewater at the end of the first half. That played a huge role in it, no question. Um, and the Ravens got back on track. Hollywood Brown finally making a, a an absolutely absurd catch in the end zone. Um, yeah, just not a, not a whole lot going there. The Broncos defense did a pretty good job, in fact, they were going to be the first team in what was it like 73 straight games or something? 43. That gonna, yeah, that's, that's right. 43. Um, 73 was the year of the Steelers team, but it was the record. They were about to tie the record for most consecutive games with 100 rushing yards or more. And on the last play of the game, instead of taking a knee, the Ravens decided to run the ball to try to pick it up to get enough yardage for it. And they did just get enough. They finished with 102 rushing yards. But Without Teddy Bridgewater, and again, goes back to that, hey, Teddy versus Drew Locke conversation, I think we, we've yeah. realized now that Drew Locke is, is not the answer there, and, and going with Teddy made, made all the difference in the world for this team. Yeah, it all comes down to, to turning the ball over, and once he threw that pick, it was, it was like, all right, here we go, you know? And, and the, Ra- the Ravens just played keep away. You know, they played keep away. We're going to get the ball. We're going to move and, it down. Yeah, Lamar ended up with over 300 yards passing. Which yeah. is like they they did it they, well, they everyone talks about this but the Baltimore Ravens don't necessarily do this where they use wide receivers and short passes as running plays and all that stuff that they're not one of those teams that that's you know and, and so to see them kind of do that and, and even gain some plays there uh, you know some deep chunk plays um, it, they just they operate a little differently and I don't know if Denver wasn't expecting it but I wasn't I'll tell you that. Lamar's- I think it was the defense not expecting it because there were a ton of one-on-ones I saw with Justin Simmons one-on-one with Mark Andrews. And guess who's winning that battle 10 times out of 10? I'm sorry, Justin Simmons is a great dis- defender, but that's, I mean, come on. Well, and they made they made note of that as well uh, about how a couple, they, they had made a play to the, the other tight end um, for, uh, I forget his name, the other tight end for the Ravens. They tried to run a little drag route and Justin Simmons came up, made an awesome play in the first half. And then about four plays later, they went back to the same play, but they ran the route with Mark Andrews and he got just, and credit to the commentator, I think it might've been Mark Schlereth made, you know, said at the time, he was like, he's like, you know, that's a play designed for, for Mark Andrews, you know, not, not for whoever the, the, the other tight end was. And 
Mark Andrews speed is enough just to get that extra half step in front to be able to make the play. And that's exactly what happened. Lamar, you know, is not afraid. He's like you said, he's not a check down guy. You know, he likes to throw the ball down the field um, when they do throw it. And they, what the Broncos were doing was stacking the box, trying to eliminate Lamar saying, Lamar, you're going to beat us with our, with your arm. And he did, he did this week. And, you know, Credit to him and credit to the Ravens. They they got a lead and the defense played great. If Teddy Bridgewater's in that game, they were able to move the ball pretty well with Teddy in the first half. Would have been interesting to see the full game with Teddy. I think this one would have came down to the wire. But unfortunately, uh, you know, for, for your Broncos there, Vito, Drew Locke just, again, similar to Trey Lance, getting thrown into the fire, not quite ready, didn't have the full week to prepare. And, and sometimes that creates magic and sometimes, you know, it, it – it, does the opposite, unfortunately, yeah. for your boys. Well, we, we, pitched, we pitched the goose egg, boys. All three of us got losses in the yeah. NFL this week. <laughs> not, not, not great for the read option crew in terms of fan bases, <laughs> but we, hey, we persevere. Next week is another week, at least for your guys. I'm, my boys are playing Tampa Bay, so I'm not trusting that. Yeah, All we're right. playing the Cardinals, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, recap a little bit of college football. Uh, not a whole lot happened, but there are, so there were, well, I shouldn't say that some things did happen, but the games we thought weren't great. And then we'll wrap up a little bit of life talk to, uh, to close out the pod college football this weekend. Uh, not the greatest, but at the same time, we still had some mayhem, just not with the games that we were anticipating. So I do have to give a shout out to our boy Vito. So we know we do our picks every week. This week, uh, Scotty combined with NFL and college football. Scotty went ten and thirteen, just a little bit above below five hundred. Uh, All right, I went eleven and two, just a little bit below five hundred. We still have the Monday night game tonight, right? So, v- uh, Scotty and I are both on the Chargers to cover the three, and Vito, you're on Vegas to cover the 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 plus three right now because mm-hmm. the Chargers are a three point favorite. Uh, which, by the way, that should be a really fun matchup. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Vito, our man, went eight and seven in NFL and then seven and one against the spread in college football this week. So in total for right now, we'll update it depending on how the tonight works out. We have Scotty at 34 and 38. So again, right around that 500 mark. Terrible. I'm at <laughs> I'm at 46 and 46. So tonight's game I'm is 12 games be- out already. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, we're talking about win percentages here because I've picked every single week, but you missed right. a week and then Vito missed a week. Uh, so I'm 46 and 46 hanging right at 500 could be above 500 if the Chargers pulled off tonight and Vito is 41 and 31. Let's go 10, oh. 10 games above 500. Let's go. Picking against the spread, great start for our boy. Um, but this weekend in college football was uh, was interesting because similar to what we what we talked about with the NFL, we learned things about certain teams. Right, Iowa beats the clamps off of Maryland this week. Both of you guys had Iowa. I had Maryland with the upset, and I was very much wrong. Um, Alabama handles Ole Miss. I thought Ole Miss was going to be frisky there. Uh, and Scotty, I believe you're the only one that picked. No, I know Vito, you're the only one that picked Bama to cover that one because you're smart and we're dumb. Yeah, 
Why I I care about myself. Why did I do? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you did, man. I mean, you don't pick I care against about Bama. myself, Scotty. You don't pick against Georgia. I mean, these are teams that are just going <laughs> off. Okay, Georgia, don't pick Georgia, against them. Georgia thirty-seven to nothing against Arkansas. Dude, Stunner. you want to talk? You want to talk betting? I had that game on a parlay and it to hit the under. The under was the over under was forty-eight and a half. I took the under. I'm sitting there at halftime and it's twenty-four nothing. I'm like, I got no shot, but. Thank God the Arkansas offense did absolutely nothing <laughs> so that I covered the under. That was part of the three, three-way parlay. That Dude, I, Georgia's, that I de- Georgia's defense is, is as dominant oh, dis- of a deep. Like, honestly, it's I, think disgusting. They're, I think they're even better than the Alabama defenses of the past. Like, they, they are – that front four with the linebackers and the secondary, I – Georgia's defense is terrifying. Uh, your boys, goose-egged. The Indiana Hoosiers. You both had yeah. Penn State covering the 12 and a half. I had Penn State. I had Indiana. I had Penn State winning by the Indiana covering. Indiana couldn't score a point against yeah. Penn State on Saturday. Like you guys said, coming out for revenge in that game. Oklahoma holds on. I thought the best game of the weekend, not the best game, but the, the outcome I was most excited about was Cincinnati beating Notre Dame. Uh, that was spectacular and what that does i mean Mm -hmm. cincinnati's up to number five right now and the two teams that are two of the four teams that are in front of them are playing this weekend in penn state in iowa so Mm. by by this time next week we could be talking about cincinnati in the top four which would be the first time a group of five team has been in the top four in the college football playoff era which is just freaking awesome yeah, um, well, when uh, question Jeff because you probably know this. When do the college football rankings start coming out? So they will start six, coming out. Right. Uh, I be- I believe week six is too early. I believe it's the last weekend in October. Okay, because I was gonna say. I mean, AP. We all know this. This committee is a lot different than the AP. This could this could jumble up, but I, I'm excited for that because I think just everyone is noticing how good this team is, and they have they have two very they have a a, a very solid win. Um, I think it was against like Indiana, honestly, Indiana, which now doesn't look as good, but either way, big 10 team. And now the, the winning is Notre Dame is a very, very legitimate one. And I love it for that program. 100%. And Cincinnati, this is a team we've talked about before. I mean, they got freaks on their, on their roster, right? So they beat uh, Miami of Ohio, Murray state, uh, Indiana and Notre Dame in back-to-back weeks. So they did have a buy in between remaining on their schedule. They have, Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, which could be a really big game. Yes. And then ECU. So SMU is undefeated now ranked 24 as well. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh, UCF is a good team. Temple's been a frisky team. Uh, Tulane, we've seen them go toe-to-toe with the likes of Oklahoma. Uh, Tulsa go went toe to toe with the likes of uh, Notre Dame earlier this year. I believe Tulane also played Ohio State, or Tulsa. One of the two of them played Ohio State and made it frisky against them. So Cincinnati should be able to roll through the rest of the roster uh, of their roster, but they already have a top ten win. And as Luke Fickle put it or, uh, in his post game press conference, a top five program in college football in Notre Dame. And you know, there's a difference between a top top ten, top twenty five team and a top 10, top 25 program, right? right? And when you talk about the guys that Notre Dame brings in, this win for Cincinnati is massive. So, and to do so handily, I mean, 
that defense shut down Notre Dame. And no, this isn't Notre Dame of years past necessarily, but it's still going up against the number nine team in the country. Now, your point of the college football playoff rankings, they do treat it differently. And I can tell you right now, the, guy, the people that make up the college football playoff committee are made up of athletic directors from across all divisions and all levels, but primarily are run by people who are in positions of power in power five conferences and former coaches who were former power five coaches. I don't, I'm not going to say they're necessarily going to be biased or they're going to hold anything against them. I will say in the past, there's been some, uh, you know, what's the word chicanery. Is that, is that the word, right? A little bit of, you know, a little bit of foul, foul play. Yes. You know, or like, but like chicanery is, is that is what is a fancy way of saying the same thing involving where they rank good group of five teams. So if we see the first college football playoff ranking, Cincinnati's undefeated number five or number four in the college football in the uh, AP poll, they could have them at like six or seven in the CFP. And I really hope they don't do that, but you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, I love the Cincinnati team. I'm all in on, on Luke fickle. I'm a definitely a Bearcats fan. We've talked about my college football alliances, I've always had an affinity for Cincinnati and they will be a power five team as soon as next year, depending on when they join the big 12. But for right now in this season, they deserve the chance if they go all, all the way and win out their schedule and probably have to beat SMU twice in a, in the American conference championship game, Cincinnati should at least be mentioned in that conversation, especially considering who else is in the conversation right now. Because Kentucky knocks off Florida at home, right? Uh, Texas, Texas A&M, back-to-back losses, just lost to Mississippi State at home this past weekend. You know, uh, UCLA, a team that people liked. Fresno State was a group of five team that people liked. Uh, Baylor is another team. You know, Oklahoma State gets a big jump with their win. Arizona State's now back up in the top 25 with their win. But right now, the SEC looks like a two-dog race. So even if you give those two spots there, the big loss of the weekend, though, was number three, Oregon, going yeah. down to Stanford. And a one-loss Oregon as a Pac-12 champion would probably get in over Cincinnati. But the Big Ten is so good, but there's also going to be some self. There's going to be some cannibalization between Penn State, Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, right? Like, there's going to be some certain Michigan, things that go yeah. on there. Michigan, undefeated, big win against Wisconsin. They looked like the far superior team there. Ohio State looks like they might have their stuff rolling after knocking yeah. beating the doors off of Rutgers. I mean, Michigan State's still undefeated. I mean, we have a lot to see in the Big Ten here. Yeah, Michigan State's undefeated too, and they're yeah. all the way up to yeah. I think eleven in the eleven. AP poll yeah, right now. the East is nuts. So I mean, yeah, that's going to change rapidly, uh, for better or worse for us. But it's going to change. But it's um, all here's here's a good thing, and this is looking at it from the viewpoint of someone who wants to see Cincinnati in the college football playoff. It only takes one team to beat Ohio State to eliminate Ohio State from yes. college football playoff. Yeah. Well, with the right? with the loss that they already have, yeah, because they Absolutely. already lost because they already lost to Oregon, right? So chances are between Penn State, Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, there is going to be some losses spread amongst them. I don't see one team going undefeated against all of that now. I'd have to I have to double check Iowa's uh, schedule. Do they play Michigan State? Uh, I got to let, let me do that real quick. No, they don't. 
So I, so basically, so Iowa, if they beat Penn State, has a legit chance to run the table for the rest of this. Because if they beat Penn State, then it's Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. So this is like yeah. the biggest game of the year for Iowa because the rest of it. But that being said, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, any of those teams I could also see beating Iowa at the same time because that's just what happens. So it'll be really interesting to see how this whole thing kind of plays out. I don't know, man. If you were to put money on it right now, do you think Cincinnati, if they run the table, based on, and, and not knowing how the Big Ten shakes out, that Cincinnati gets into the college football playoff? I hope they do. I don't think they do. I, I think no matter what, we're going to have two from the SEC. I think we're going to get one from the Big Ten. And even if Oregon wins out, they're going to go over Cincy. And I hate to say that, but like a group of five team with one loss would probably go in over an undefeated Cincy, which I don't like if they have a, the champion, the conference championship. And yeah. and that's one where I think we're, we're going to have a discussion around because we've heard that was the big discussion the first year, right? The big 12 didn't have a, a conference championship yet. And it was the whole reason they had some leave outs and it was an issue. But what I think is going to happen is we're going to have the discussion this year about what is a power five conference championship mean compared to you know, a non power five conference championship, especially with the big 12 and people leave like the Oklahoma and Texas, like leaving that this whole entire situation is going to change so much because now we're going to say, Oh, the sec one matters more than the big 10 one. And then it, or we're going to rank those, you know what I mean? Cause at that point yeah. just have automatic tie-ins like, and, and expand it. So and according that's to I'm, based off of history, mm -hmm. the difference has been the precedent's been set that the group of five schedule and everything just doesn't, just doesn't hold up like they just won't consider like they value the difference between a group of five regular season schedule conference schedule versus a power five different but if i look at the acc or the pac-12 right pac-12 only has two ranked teams right now it's oregon and arizona state it, it, yeah, assuming yeah. that both of them run the table already with one loss and then meet in the in the conference championship game and one team wins and one team's a one-loss Pac-12 champion, which I'm also not confident in saying that that's going to happen, by the way. That's about the only way that the – or you know, a two-loss, this is what will be interesting. Does an undefeated Cincinnati team get in over a one-loss Wake Forest team? That Because Wake Forest is undefeated right now, and Wake Forest ranked at 24, as we currently speak, is the number one team in the ACC. So if Wake Forest, which is an insane thought to think about, runs the table, wins the ACC, but then or gets one loss and is the ACC champs with one loss, are you going to put them in over Cincinnati when you could? There's an argument to be made that between SMU and maybe UCF or Temple, another team kind of sneaking up there, that there actually is a tougher schedule being played in the American than the the Atlantic Coastal or the uh, the uh, AA, the ACC right now. Yeah, Atlantic Coastal Conference. I don't know, man. I think that conversation is fair game. Yeah. The Pac-12 is a close. little tougher because you at least have Arizona State ranked and you have Oregon ranked. But I don't think Oregon and Arizona State get through the rest of the regular season without dropping a game either. What about a two-loss Big Ten team that no. gets to the their conference championship game? And that's so, their second loss. So, no, like, Penn no. State – so, like, let's say Penn State and Iowa match up. And Penn State beats Iowa. Okay. Right. 
and then Penn State runs the table. Well, no, because Penn State would be undefeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Penn State runs the table and they're undefeated. And then they go up against Iowa again in the Big Ten championship game, something like that. No, what I'm saying and then is beats say, Iowa. Say, so then Iowa would have two losses. Yeah. No, what, what I'm saying is, is say Penn State loses this game, runs the table, gets to the Big Ten championship game. And no, that's a bad I'll, example to no, you. No, 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 actually, right. Iowa again. No, no, actually, I think that, yeah. no, because no, I actually think that is, I think that actually is a good example because the, uh, the other team wouldn't be Iowa. It'd be Ohio State. So no, it would no. be, yeah, it would be Penn State. Yeah, because if Penn State runs the table, they're yeah. undefeated. They beat Iowa twice and they beat Iowa once in the regular season, once in the conference championship game. And then they beat Ohio State and then Ohio State's two losses, but they're not in the. So it would be, would you put yes. Ohio State or Iowa in over an undefeated Cincinnati team? I would not. I don't think I don't think two losses get it done this year. There's no way. I mean, yeah. in my opinion, with the strength of what we've seen, if you have an undefeated power five team or a group of five team, no way. And I don't, I think we're going to be so competitive that there will never be in this season. I don't think a two, a two loss team gets in. I mean, we've well, been I'll wrong me, before and we've seen mayhem, yeah. but I, I just don't think this. I'll is put it this year. way. What if it's a last second touchdown or field goal and a back to back and back, back and forth battle Penn state holds out and beats Ohio state on the road in Columbus. And somehow, you know, they're undefeated. And, and they win that game, but by like the skin of their teeth, right? So, you know, because this is the kind of stuff that the committee actually values, right? Because if, if Penn State blew the doors off of Ohio State, then yeah, there's no way Ohio State gets in. But if Penn State beat Ohio State and then Ohio State, because they're in the same division, doesn't get a chance to avenge that loss. I don't know, man. I, I don't, if it was like, again, I like, think it would have to be the inverse. I think you'd have to have two losses and then somehow like, like, let's say this, let's say Penn State loses to Iowa. Okay. Then we beat Ohio State. No, no, we lose to Iowa. Ohio, we beat Iowa. Ohio State beats us. No, I'm still messing this no, up. No, here's long story I know, short. I know what you're if you to switch say. it up, and yeah, Ohio State has two losses, makes it to the Big Ten and wins. Then I think they go if they're two close losses. So a two a two loss conference champion. Yes, like we were in 2015, 16, whenever it was when we got left out. We had a blowout loss, and that's yeah. why we didn't get in. We yeah. lost to Michigan. We got our ass kicked. Well, the committee so, has also made a point to never let in a two loss champ, a, a two loss team. Period. There's never been a yes. two loss team in the college football playoff, but this is the scenario that would make it interesting. Okay, Penn State beats Iowa. There and they finish the season with their only conference loss coming to Ohio State, and Ohio State then makes the Big Ten championship and beats Iowa. So now Iowa's a two losses. They're out of the you know out of the race. Ohio State is a one loss conference champion, but undefeated in conference play. And Penn State is a one-loss team that didn't get a chance to play in the conference championship game because they lost out on record there. That scenario, Penn State, one loss with all of the wins they would have, which would include Michigan, Michigan State, and then a loss to Ohio State as long as that game was competitive. It would be a one-loss Penn State who didn't make, who couldn't play in the conference championship game versus a undefeated Cincinnati team. And in that case, I think they would take Penn state over Cincinnati. I agree too. Cause we'd have the win against Iowa this weekend. That's you. I am with you. I think yeah. that's probably the situation we might see. But other, but I, I guess the point of this exercise being is that it's getting increasingly more difficult 
to come up with scenarios as to how Cincinnati, who's yeah. undefeated, wouldn't get in because right. of every, yeah. right because yeah. of everything else that's going on around them. Because the ACC is absolute dog shit, and because now Oregon lost to Stanford, that throws an entire other wrinkle into it. And again, Cincinnati's number five. I don't think they'll be that far off from that come the college football playoff rankings because I think people respect Desmond Ritter. And they respect that defense, and we've seen it consistently over the years. But will their resume be able to stack up, and will the losses fall in favor of Cincinnati, assuming that they run the table and go undefeated, which is something that I think we can't overlook as something being incredibly difficult. All right. Speaking of college football, for our our random life stuff today, we were talking about this in, in our break, and we were talking about you went to a Sunday tailgate or a Sunday wedding uh, this weekend, Vito, which, by the way, I know uh, what's the guy's name who just got married? My boy Gooch. Shout out, Gooch. Gooch, congratulations. Yeah. I'm super happy for it. You're a dick for having a Sunday wedding. Um, <laughs> no, you're not so, a dick. I get it because, like, with COVID and everything, people rescheduling weddings. I don't know if that's what it was, but like, people have had to reschedule and all that stuff. So if it's that, I don't, I don't mean to be insensitive. But Sunday weddings in general, they're tough. They're tough ass, but I'm guessing it probably wasn't their first option either. So I'm not going to hold it against them. Well, and I'll say this. So I'll say uh, this. I've gone to a lot of weddings this year, um, a lot, and uh, still have a lot more to go. But I think the important part was that the rehearsal was on Friday and the wedding was on Sunday. And I was a little concerned. I was kind of like, fuck, man, like. I could have probably gone to the Penn State game. I think on Saturday morning, this wedding, Sunday morning, the wedding. I probably could have done some different things this weekend. I kind of lose your Saturday. But what we ended up doing, went to the rehearsal dinner Friday. Saturday went to, he got married in New Jersey. So we went to uh, the Rutgers Ohio State tailgate. Mm-hmm. Then we go into the game. It was very cheap and, and watched the first quarter, which was the whole game. They were down like 31 to six. At that point, we left and it was great because we had to go to another dinner. But what I other than we had the wedding Sunday and what was a very pleasant surprise was that we got to spend so much more time together as because not only just the bachelor party, but uh, we have, you know, in this case, the whole bridal party together, the families, it's a different environment. And they all came in early for that rehearsal dinner. So it was really, really fun. And a lot of them lived in the area. So Saturday we all hung out and tailgated. And uh, so pleasant surprise. I was not thrilled with it either, Jeff, but I got to say it was way better than I thought. I loved having the extra day in there. Some people do like a Sunday thing all day before you people before people leave. And that's harder because you're not drinking. It's and, you and you're hung over from the night before. Yeah. 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 So I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but I got to say, when I was at the Rutgers, Ohio State tailgate, Dude, I, I don't know why, but this is something that infuriates me. When you go to a game and both teams are the same fucking colors. So like it was literally just red and white everywhere. And you saw people yelling and I couldn't tell if they were friends or they were pissed at each other or what was going on. And then there's tailgates and you're like, oh, is that a Rutgers tailgate? And it's a mix. It's Ohio State, it's Ohio State and them. And there's all this other stuff. It was a weird dynamic just trying to figure out who was rooting for who, even yeah. in the stadium, because like at that point, Rutgers is blowing him out. There were so many Ohio State fans in there, and I didn't even see it. I was like, man, Rutgers really showed out today. That's pretty cool. I don't know how State scores, and half the damn stadium stands up, and you're like, what is going on right now? Like, I don't even know what's – it was one of those moments when you're watching a football game and something happens, you're like, 
I don't know anything. Yeah. I, that's one of those moments where I saw everyone stand up and I was like, damn, I thought Rutgers would have like shown this place up huge home game. They played some tough opponents, played some tough opponents. Well, and I just couldn't believe what I saw with the amount of Ohio state people there. I don't know how you guys feel. End of my rant, but I fucking hate when two teams, the same colors play. Well, that's the beauty of like, I mean, not the beauty of the NFL, but like the difference between college football, when you're dealing with conferences that have 12 teams in them versus the NFL, where it's like, Hey, you can, for the most part, like every team's kind of wearing different colors with the exception of like the Browns and the Bengals for the most part, like, there aren't a whole lot of crossovers when it comes to color scheme and stuff. Cause there's just less teams, but you're hundred percent. Right. Like I, I can't, can't imagine being like, I, like, I'd be like you. It's like the, uh, throw the meme from, uh, doing a verbal meme here. Uh, it's Bye, like man. the, the weekend in during the halftime show when he's in the house yeah. with all the mirrors and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. what's going on. Right. Or the, yeah. or the <laughs> Mr. Krabs meme where it's like getting all, you know, he's all like dizzy and stuff like, that is yeah. kind of how it feels sometimes because you're you're sitting there and you're you're like I don't, I don't who wait what like you know the whole thing just feels like you're up in the air. Um, now you guys have done much more tailgates than I have, and also by the way, shouts again to Mr. And Mrs. Gooch. That is uh, that is amazing. Um, I'm sure that's not their actual. I hope it's not their actual. Last the, the last thing is Marguccio, which is where Marguccio. Okay, much better. Well, shout out to Mr. And Mrs. Marguccio. Congratulations. <laughs> Gooch. Yeah. We love we love you if you're especially if you're a listener of the pod, we love you. Um, and congratulations. But um when you when we when you brought that up, it did make me think uh, you guys have both done far more tailgating than I have, you know, like going to an FCS school. Like we tailgated and stuff, but it was it was a different environment, not quite like Happy Valley on a Saturday. Uh, what are the like do's and don't like what to you is like, hey, this was the perfect tailgate. Because I know you guys will sometimes jump around from tailgate to tailgate too, and tailgates down south are a whole other animal. So for you personally, what makes like the perfect tailgate? To me, I, I have this lined up. So shout out to the Harmons who have won Penn State tailgate of the year before, who I go stay with. They're incredible. Um, also shout out to my boy Scotty Latimer, the There's old Turtleville guys. The best tailgate. Yeah, they've won it before too. These guys, Scotty Lat, it's a big deal. I mean. The harms where I go with the, the setup's incredible. I'd say there's a couple things. One, it's multiple cars. You got to have a wide setup. They have a dance floor. They have PA speakers. I think music wide getting going early yeah. is, is a huge, huge advantage. Um, good food and variety of food and mm. food throughout the day. But you have to have something special. So what the Harmons have is every hour on the hour, or not on the hour, but they pre-make a whole playlist for the day and uh, Marcy, the mom locks it in a lockbox so no one can get in there and change things. And it's all oh, scheduled out. That. And there's cups song, the song cups from Pitch Perfect. When that is played, you hand out cups. And then there's a song to pour everyone the shot. And then everyone does it's a whole mix of music and it get you to get down low. And it's the oh, let's get ready to rumble. And then we all take the shot. And so, like, there's something special about that tailgate, right? Bruce Buffer. Yeah, and then and then we go and then we go over to my boy Scotty Latz, and they just have a bunch of different food, smoke, smoke, uh, slow grilling and, and smoking food out there at the tailgate. I think it's definitely multiples of food and then enough unique little parts of your tailgate. But if it's a night game or even a 3:30, you can't stay at the same tailgate. I've never done it. I can't do it. Maybe I'm just too antsy. I think tailgates are all about making sure you bounce around. You see enough people and you also just meet new people. I think that's one of the most fun parts. So to me, 
those are the locks. You got to do something unique, bounce around and eat good food. I also like to stop drinking about two, an hour before the game. I, I don't like going into games drunk. Um, I, I'm, I'm there to watch it. Yes. I want to yeah. coast down. Well, that, and, and that and by the sure fourth quarter, you're going to be like, oh my God, my head. <laughs> yes. What about you, Scotty? What, what, what's made your, you know, list of tailgating necessities? So I'm a simple man. Um, you've tailgated with me at my house. Um, yeah. but <laughs> you know, uh, it, to me, it depends on the, on the time of, of the game, right? So you got a noon game, you're rolling into the parking lot, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning and shout out to, uh, to one of my my best friends in the whole world, Jacob, uh, uh, and his his phenomenal wife Lauren Kreisman, who are having their baby today. Uh, but she oh, makes yeah. a a critically acclaimed um, a critically acclaimed breakfast casserole. Ooh. I mean, some of the best stuff you've ever had in your life. Uh, then you got to kind of roll up and uh, and Vito. I know you've been to some of the Popco's tailgates. Pop the tailgate, and it serves as a full functioning bar. Um, along with the, uh, the several cases of beer. Um, and then the other thing that you've got to have, um, no matter what time of day it is, is, um, is, uh, games. You got to get a little cornhole going. Mm-hmm. You got to at least have yes. a football to sling around. Love uh, stump. Shout out to Jeff Martz. That was going to be my next Martz question. Goes big. Yeah. He'll, he'll bring up a, a stump to play at, uh, at, at Penn state tailgates. So yeah, there's got to be got to be games like that. Hillbilly golf is another one I like, but uh, yeah, yeah, those are those are the things that uh, that make it worthwhile. So that and bring yourself a good set of chairs because standing uh, while fun and engaging is uh, it's a little tiresome in a, in a long tailgate, especially if you have a whole game and everything you gotta go stand through. Oh. That's right. Excuse me, jeez. Um, that was gonna be my next question though. I mean, you guys want you know one word, one phrase answer here. If you had to pick one tailgate game as like you get one, this is it. Where, where are you going? Wide out. Happy Valley. No, not Done. like not actual game, like game oh. to play during. Tailgates. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> man, personally, I go stump. I just think it's unique and fun. And I I've been, I've had a hammer in my hand since I was a kid. So like, um, yeah, you have. we've been like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> For anyone who stayed around to listen to that, shouts oh, to you. It's the best it. joke in read option history. Oh, I love you, Scotty. But yeah, no. So like, I mean, I've been working construction uh, with my dad. He grew up in South Africa and was, he worked since he was young. And, and so like, I just, it's a nice thing because it doesn't come up often, but it's mm. great to be able to flip a hammer and, and nail with good, good contact. I'm not slamming it, but like it comes in handy and it's nice to be good at that game. I feel like it's a regional thing too, though. Like I, I went back to California and I was doing tailgating at, at a, I think it was a Stanford Oregon game. Uh, yeah, it must've been cause I was there with my family and, and I was like, you guys don't have a stump. And they looked oh, at me no. like I was from the moon and yeah, dude, no, so, they don't have stump. very regional, but cornhole. Oh. I think for me it's cornhole. Um, let's go with the classic. Just, just cause what it's about- so universal. I can sling bag all day long stump. You kind of get tired because hey. you're standing around doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got i got cornhole <laughs> well, you, i do Jeff? like the one james brought it once he brought that little thing where uh it's the the cornhole game but you do chips like golf shots you chip oh, into the chip, yeah chippo or chippy yeah. or whatever yeah i actually built one of those 
I saw it on I saw an ad for it on Facebook and I was like, I can build that. And I actually randomly had some turf roll like rolled up turf in uh in our garage. And so I built I built my own set of uh of chippo or chippy or whatever the hell it's called. Um I, I mean look our tar I'll uh, our tailgates at JMU were, were a little bit different. Uh, primarily, they were about getting as drunk as you could as quickly as possible. And we didn't necessarily have the space that you guys are accustomed to. Um, but a lot of times what we do, too, is, you know, we would just tailgate at somebody's house and then just walk to the game. And we would do kind of a house tailgate where you could, you know, kind of get that morning drink in. And so my favorite game still to this day, my favorite drinking game um, is beer dye. And, oh and for those awesome. you guys are both bargaining you guys are both yeah. west coast guys so you, you know you know the the theatrics of beer die it, it was we were the only the club baseball team at jmu were the only people that played beer die ever and and from what i've been told at least that that is similar to like the beer pong of the west coast like everybody on the west coast plays beer die it is a ton of fun we said we had a big flag with everybody's name like drawn on it in sharpie and then you would add your scores to it so a good a good beer die like tournament or something at someone's house beforehand but if you're at like a tailgate and you know you're standing there and you know you're out in the parking lot this might be a weak answer but just playing catch give me a football go run a little post route Oh, let, me hit, let me hit you yeah. on it, right? Or even just sitting back, you're having a conversation with somebody, let it rip, flick. Almost just said it. I'm not going to. Just flick, flick the rock a little, and yeah. uh, and uh, no, that 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 to me will always uh, will always hit. Um, perfect place to wrap up. Uh, great pod today, boys. We'll be back on Friday. We will preview this weekend's game, massive Sunday night game, massive Saturday night game between Iowa and Penn State as well. So a lot of good football coming up this weekend. Everybody enjoy your week. We will talk to you boys soon. Boys and girls, be inclusive everybody. And uh, as always, take it easy, everybody.